to hold up a movie podcast. Last time we stole a few hours to talk about heist movies, but that episode is out of sight. Tonight, we take a higher way and enjoy some views. De plane, de plane, we find ourselves saying. Let's take off for a red-eyed flight and hopefully stick the landing. None of us are pilots, but that's apropos for this show. We are hijacked up for this one, because tonight's theme is airplanes. We might even talk a little jive. Uh, <laughs> I am your host, Davin, and with me as always, my co-pilot, Chris Worldmind Murphy. What a tie, good sir. Uh, it's going to be a good podcast, I think. The skies are clear, uh, and the films were pretty awesome. In my opinion, they? so I'm gonna Where have they? some good times. I think Where so. They? We're gonna have lots to talk about tonight. And with us is as you know, again, returning guest, our our blow up doll pilot, if you will. Our auto? Um, uh, yeah, this our is auto pilot. pilot. Yeah, this is our autopilot. Uh, uh how do you Shijumi Mike Henry? I'm glad to be here. Uh, if you look out your left side, you will see uh, my cat drinking some water. So we're ready ah, to go. My right side, my cat wants some snuggles, I think. <laughs> he wants some snuggles. Very cute. My cat is currently licking her paws and chops after having a mouthful of snacks. Adorable. All right. Well, Seats we're here to talk about... Position. Let's take off. Well, so your early thoughts on this is this was a lot of good movies. Is that what you're saying, Murphy? Um, <laughs> in in various categories, um, and I, th yeah, I thought they were great movies. Um, you know, uh, yeah, like initial initial All thoughts. Right. Yeah, yeah, straight. What about you, Mike? I think there is uh, there is one great movie. There is one very interesting movie, and and my personal pick is an intentionally very bad movie. That's what I think. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to go out there and say there's one bad movie, one boring <laughs> movie, and one pretty good movie. But we'll, we'll talk about it. Uh, it's... It's, we've had some stinkers lately on this show, I think. But, you know, I'm a little annoyed that Murphy picked an anime uh, right before the anime episode, making me watch four animes in a row instead of three. <laughs> um, I thought it would make an excellent segue, and I'm don't I'm not disappointed I picked that film. That film was excellent as hell. It was apropos to the, to the theme of planes. Yeah. So, you know, it was... Well, if, there were if planes. Were technically the films, correct, it was poetry. The best kind of correct. There were planes in all these films. We might have nailed the theme better than usual, but it, it was you guys wanted to pick jets, and I won. I, I kiboshed that right away. I I this maintain that debunking and analyzing military aircraft movies would be a hell of a lot more interesting. Civilian airplane there. movies are they're dangerous. But they're they're a different feel for sure. Very much different than like war, which we've already done. Which the fighter pilot one just would have felt like war. We'll get to it, but it just would have been a lot of the same. Listen, I um, could have gone with Soul Plane, but I chose not to because you know how could we ever top such an excellent passenger film? 
Um, I've never that. seen Soul Play. Oh, I should have gone Soul Play. Even, oh, even I really should have gone with Soul Play. Someone who literally owns an aviation headset, I have never seen Soul Plane. Why didn't I go with Soul Plane? <laughs> you should have gone with Soul Plane. Uh, hindsight's twenty-twenty, well, huh? Murphy blowing his pick again. That's apropos for this show as well. All right, so what do we got? I didn't blow the pick. In... The pick was a good pick. You're just you're just too tired to watch good films. Well, sometimes that might be the case, but I don't know. I don't think that was the case here. I don't think that it was my fault. I think it was the movie's fault, but we'll talk about that. All right, so here in Theater One, we've got Airplane! Exclamation mark. From 1980, starring Robert Hayes, Julie Haggerty, Leslie Nielsen, Canada's own, Robert Stack, and Lloyd Bridges. Directed by David Zucker, Jerry Zucker, probably some more Zuckers, and Jim Abrahams, or Abrams. Uh, yeah. Got a well, trailer for us here, Murphy? Abrams are absolutely, hands down, the greatest comedy creators, as far as I'm concerned. Hot shots, airplane, I mean, they, they nail it. Well, Check you can tell they're made here. from the same people. Like, there's Most a style to this. Yeah. Jim Abrams and the Zucker Brothers. That's like one of the few movies of those three directors. But yes, we do have a, a trailer, a classic, if you will. Stand by for the most extraordinary chain of events ever swept up into high adventure. Jaws? Hey, Larry, where's the forklift? Forklift! There's Jim the Abrams in... I believe that's Jerry Zucker there. So funny they say high adventure, and the alternate title for this Airplane movie is Flying High. Uh, this is Dr. Brody at the Mayo Clinic. High Fly. Give me ham on five, hold the mayo. A little girl named Lisa Davis, en route to Minneapolis. She's scheduled for a heart transplant. There's I want so you to make many, sure that she's kept so in a reclined position and that a continuous watch is kept on her IV. Airplane is action. <laughs> I love that scene. That was such a good it's scene. It's so good. <laughs> that Airplane whole bar scene. Romance. Oh, God. I love you, Elaine. Again, the flashbacks I found kind of annoying. I don't like flashbacks. Airplane is dancing. Yes, here we go. Oh my. We're going to show the sailor that was stabbed in the back. Never has the screen been so big. You ever been in a cockpit before? No, sir, I've never been up in a plane before. Peter Graves. You ever seen a grown man naked? Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. My name is Roger Murdoch. I'm an airline pilot. Leslie Nielsen. This woman has to be gotten to a hospital. A hospital? What is it? It's a big building with patients. That's not important right now. Lloyd Bridges. Johnny, what do you make out of this? This? Ah, what a legend, Lloyd Bridges. Yeah, there's a lot of legends in this movie. Robert Stack. All right, Steve, let's face a few facts. Night on Unsolved Mysteries. I hope you enjoy the rest of your flight. Julie Haggerty. By the way, is there anyone on board who knows how to fly a plane? <laughs> That's not going to set off some hysteria. Robert Hayes. Surely you can't be serious. Julie Haggerty's first role. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. 
I gotta get out of here. Don't call me get shit. Get a hold of yourself. So that was the actress's idea, this whole gag. That's pretty funny. Kind of like Quentin Tarantino filming. was my pick wow what's going on there right. i don't know what happened there <laughs> <laughs> yeah this is my pick i had never really seen it all the way through i just caught pieces of it on tv so wow. but as a kid i had watched hot shots and hot shots part two especially a million times um yeah. i like this movie better than those movies i think i think those movies now i see where they came from and i feel like those movies just do this again, but not as good or with as good of actors. I mean, I know I've just upset Mike Henry because he's a hot I shots love, guy. I love but... Airplane. Okay, I love it. I love it to my core. But Hot Shots Part Two is probably my favorite comedy movie of all time. I, um, out of all of the I love it as films, a kid. Hot Shots and Hot Shots Part Two surpass Airplanes. Especially part two. It's just, it's just, there are, I've seen that movie, I would say, probably over 50 times. And every time I watch it, I'm like, holy shit, I never noticed that joke. That's wild. Airplane I love. And it is, it's the OG, you know, it's the original Zucker Abrams, you know, joint. But. Hot shots part Same, two, really. It could be like Same recency bias or the fact that it's fresh, a comedy to me. Like I can still remember all the gags from Hot Shots Part Two, and I'm pretty sure those gags won't make me laugh anymore. Um, but these ones were fresh, and they did make me laugh. That's fair, Murphy. Um, I there was a lot of laugh moments with this film for me. It was pretty much the way I remember it. Went and seeing it ages ago. Um. You know all the big beats, the Shirley's and the, the yeah, like that one. Everyone's woman. heard that. Yeah, that was the one of the most famous. Don't lines call me Shirley. In the glue yeah. one, everyone knows that line. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, just sort of appreciating the older actors because of their of their more nuanced stuff. Now it was it was fun to watch. Um, but you know, out of like. Out of all of our movies, it had the most like basic storyline, but it was presented as a joke, and that's what it was meant to be because it is the parody film that sort of spawned the whole like mm-hmm. you know uh, genre of parody films. If it wasn't okay. for you know the Zaz yeah, guys, like you could... we we wouldn't have Hot Shots, and we wouldn't have you know you know well, this movie spawned like have. the naked gun series too really yeah I mean, they took this leslie nielsen character and just made the naked gun instead of a doctor they made him a cop 
but like but also i mean you, yeah. you say that uh that it was really original and that it, it spawned all these ideas but i mean half of the lines from this film were taken from a very very serious airplane film in the 70s absolutely like like taken verbatim from it just paying yeah. for jokes we have to find somebody who can not only fly this plane but who didn't have fish for dinner was literally a line from an actual drama movie that they, they didn't have to adjust at all for the parody. What right? movie? Um, that think... movie is called Zero Hour. Zero Hour. No, yeah, it's Zero Hour. And it's no, Airport 77 is a great movie. I forget. I almost picked it. I love that movie. Oh, really? Oh, nice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Zero Hour actually was a film that uh, ended up being um, the rights were owned. They got... The guys that made this film got the rights to Zero Hour, and then they basically were just like, "All right, we're gonna take like the plot and some of the foolish lines, put it in this thing, and then make our jokes." And that's what they did. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Well, kick us off with the uh, synopsis. Why don't you, Murphy? All right. So, Airplane 1980. Uh, gonna slap this up on the screen. You know, had the the greatest actors, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar as Murdoch, Leslie Nielsen as Dr. Rumick, Lloyd Bridges as McCroskey, Robert Hayes as Ted Stryker, Julie Haggerty as Elaine, Laura Patterson as Randy, the other flight attendant, Peter Graves as Captain Over. Captain Over, that was a funny yeah. gag too. Yeah. Over, Roger. Like, uh, Roger. We have Over. clearance, Clarence. Roger, Roger. What's our vector, Victor? <laughs> <laughs> Robert Stack is Kramer, who is amazing. Robert Stack was my favorite in this. And Steven Stucker is Johnny, and then introducing Otto as himself. We've got Airplane. A uh, sorry, just uh, do it. There we go. Um, it's a nineteen eighty American satirical comedy film directed by Jim Abrams and the Zucker Brothers. Jerry and David. The film stars Robert Hayes as Ted Stryker. Uh, an ex-fighter pilot who's determined to win back the love of, of his ex-girlfriend, Elaine Dickinson. Um, Stryker is, uh, he's traumatized a war veteran and he's turned a taxi driver. Um, Ted's fear of flying and his drinking problem uh, have prevented him from holding down a responsible job. Um, Elaine, now flight attendant uh, with Ted before uh, boarding a flight from Los Angeles to Chicago. In an effort to regain her love, Ted overcomes his fear of flying and buys a ticket on the same flight. Uh, once on board, Ted attempts to reconcile with uh, Elaine and is met with uh, continuous rejection, causing him to reminisce sadly in the midst of his sorrow. Um, Ted <laughs> inadvertently drives several other passengers to suicide by monologue, which was fucking one of the funniest like continuing jokes for me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I love this like little little cameo here from uh what was so it? i feel about flashbacks though so i understand where those people were what where they were coming from it's like yeah uh, not another flashback and then like they commit suicide over <laughs> yeah i don't know if anyone I didn't go quite this. that far but i i knew where they were coming i don't know if anybody caught this uh cameo from jimmy jj walker here which was pretty good oh yeah is. i thought that looked like jimmy walker that's pretty funny um that that the cab scene right there that's another one of my favorite callbacks from this movie when uh striker leaves the cab but puts the uh the meter running and they keep coming back to that guy sitting in the back of the cab every like 30 40 minutes throughout the movie and he's just waiting for ted striker <laughs> to come back and the meter's still running he's gonna have quite the taxi fare oh my 
Don't be so naive. Yeah. Um, but yeah, as the flight uh, progresses, um, basically the entire flight crew, Captain, Captain Clarence Over, uh, played by Peter Graves, and co-pilot Roger Murdoch, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, falls ill after consuming the in-flight meal of fish, which is revealed to have caused uh, food poisoning. Except he's uh, also actually Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Yeah. Like he, well, he's, he's just playing cr- he's Murdo. playing himself pretending to be a pilot. Yes, that's true, yeah. <laughs> Does again uh, a pretty funny game. Like, like when, when Cream of Dolce Barry's like, no, I'm Murdoch. <laughs> <laughs> it's like no you're definitely you're like you remember what my dad's like totally over the points that you're good he's like listen 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 <laughs> you try and play 20 <laughs> games man come on you tried dragging um, his ass up and down the court for 40 there's minutes this, like this one continuous bit too with these like these two kids who are acting like super posh adults yeah like, what the fuck is this is like every no, i don't know thanks no thanks i like it black like my men <laughs> <laughs> it's like what the fuck <laughs> this movie had an incredible amount of like very inappropriate jokes these days jokes that would not fly but good goddamn, they're funny Timmy have oh, you yeah, ever been there's... to a Turkish prison <laughs> I couldn't keep it together I was, that, was, that was probably one of the funniest like continuous jokes going on which was he was just like hitting on the kid and then like uh at, was it Ethel Merman showed up in this like one scene yes. at one point too? Yep. Apparently this was her last film out of all of her career before she ultimately passed. Um, but yeah, um, so basically everyone gets food poisoning because they were eating the fish. Um, uh, it, then obviously the flight pilots, you know, begin to start like dropping with no one capable of flying. The, the plane, Elaine contacts the Chicago control tower and is instructed to... T- by tower supervisor steve mikrowski who's played by lord bridges to activate uh the uh autopilot the airplane's autopilot a large blow-up dummy named auto which can fly the plane but cannot land it and this was uh mike's favorite scene that held up I'll go back to the passengers. Autopilot, also, auto she has way. to reinflate him uh, using the the air valve near his belt line. Oh my! Really? Yes. <laughs> yeah, which was you know uh, a joke that definitely went over my head when I was a kid. I was surprised to be like, wow, there's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of humor Ooh. I didn't get when I was a young man, but. Uh, <laughs> She apparently enjoyed it as well, as you can see. Um, <laughs> it was good for him, too. Yes, it was. Uh, so, yeah, so basically the, the, all the pilots have, have passed out, and uh, they can't fly the plane. This, <laughs> it's kind of <laughs> <laughs> Just this scene. It was just in time. He, was ju- he blew it out. <laughs> he blew it out. He <laughs> But he did not oh my god it. i couldn't i was just like okay um so yeah realizing that ted is their only hope elaine convinces him to take control of the aircraft however ted still believes this trauma will prevent him from landing the plane safely 
Um, McCroskey calls Ted former commanding officer, Captain Rex Kramer, um, who is now a commercial pilot to help him guide uh, Ted through the landing. Um, this was, I was almost, I think this was going to be my favorite scene almost, but I think I picked something else. Um, yeah, I did. I ended up picking something else, but I almost picked this. You could have picked just the, the jive talking guys too, but I didn't because yeah, they're, they're pretty hilarious. Oh, that Excuse was so me, good. Stewardess, I speak jive. So those guys were like, they, they were, they pretty much for the most part improvised all that stuff on, on at the time. Oh, and it's so funny. It's so funny. Lay them down and smack them, yak them. <laughs> Shit. Yeah. And with the subtitles, golly. Yeah, the subtitles are what, yeah, what makes it for sure. Um, what was that? Yeah, so Ted's uh, former commanding officer, Captain Rex Kramer, played by Robert Stack, who's now a commercial pilot yeah. to help guide the landing. Uh, Elena's yeah, co-pilot with our uh, protagonist. What was this guy famous for? It was like that show. Um, Unsolved Mysteries. Mysteries. Yeah, Unsolved Mysteries. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I, was, I wanted to think Outer Limits for a second, but no, it was Unsolved Mysteries. Oh, no. Oh, man. Man. Unsolved Mysteries used to scare the shit out of me because they tell you yes. about like, psycho killers that like kidnap children, and then they're like, and this is an unsolved mystery. He's still out there. <laughs> yeah, everyone is still at large on this show, always. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. It was on right um, after Rescue 911. Which was also yeah, traumatizing. This is where like, my I... personal anxiety started. Was watching shows yeah. like this as a child. Yeah, me too. And this was actually where uh, Davin's favorite scene from this movie uh, begins to hold up. Yeah. Oh, wrong one. Sorry. Oh no. Oh, I was good. Harrison Ford wasn't in that movie at all. Not <laughs> at all. One hope is to build this man up. I give him all the confidence I can. Striker. You ever flown a motor engine plane before? No, never. Shit. This is a goddamn Shit. waste of time. There's no way you can land this plane. <laughs> you yourself. You gotta talk him down. You gotta. Route him into Lake Michigan. At least avoid killing innocent people. You're the only <laughs> chance they've got. Oh, God. All right. Striker. <laughs> so, all right. Listen, listen close. Flying a plane is no different than riding a bicycle. Just a lot harder to put baseball cards in the spokes. Just <laughs> a lot harder to put baseball cards in the spokes. Um, yeah, so yeah that made me laugh again, and I just watched it. So, yeah, that's a hilarious gag. Yeah, it's a whole. It, it holds really up good. for sure. <laughs> uh, so yeah, basically. Like a similar. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Go Steer ahead. him into the lake. Oh, I was going to say, like, <laughs> like a similar scene. There's a similar scene where uh, uh, Stryker is tasked with flying the plane. And he says, "Well, I'm I'm I've only ever flown single-engine plane. This plane has four engines. It's an entirely yeah. different kind of flying." And then uh, I think it's Leslie Nielsen and uh, and one of the air hostesses goes, "It's an entirely different kind of flying," which was a funny joke at the time because that was a commercial for uh, an American airline. It's an entirely oh. different kind of flying, but that's a joke that no longer holds up in any way. Let so, that be a lesson to filmmakers. I don't know if I put that one. I, I, I was reading when I was doing my movie morsels that uh, the lady that's like, my husband normally doesn't drink coffee in the afternoon. He and she says it like, coffee at home. he never drinks coffee at home. You know, um, 
apparently that was a, a a play off of a specific coffee commercial that um little to everyone benounced or benounced to everyone that had made the film they had actually cast the same woman from that commercial nice. in the role of the film no kidding yeah, and they didn't even realize it. <laughs> they didn't even realize oh. it at all. Oh, it wasn't yeah. intentional. That's fantastic. No. Yeah, it wasn't intentional at all. And okay. and um, you need a, you need a, like a type like that coffee woman. That's the type yeah. of actress we need. Like, yeah, oh, I know she, just she, the actress. She totally gets the role. Like it's fantastic. Um. Uh, yeah. So basically, they're they've got to fly it back to Chicago. Uh, he's not totally sure if he can do it. Um, but in in the chaos of of you know landing in Chicago, they they take out um, the jet. Was it the disco radio station WZAZ, which is a nod to the directors and stuff. Uh, then you get that classic shot where, where he's where he's starting to sweat. This is actually where my favorite scene comes up uh, for this one, where this one holds up. Sure is quiet out there. Yeah, too quiet. You two were a great team together. Wrong week, blue. Eh. See, like to me, that was a hot shots joke, and that's why I didn't really. I don't think hot shots holds up as well. It's a little more. Uh, it's, it's that's a Lloyd Bridges joke. It's Lloyd Bridges. And that's why I love Lloyd Bridges more than I love Leslie Nielsen. Agreed. I, I I'm wholeheartedly with you on that point. I, 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 I think just, Lloyd Bridges is... I flippin' love Lloyd Bridges. Yeah. I love him. He's a little over the top. He's like maybe. a Rowan Atkinson, you know? Just completely yeah. ridiculous, over-the-top, ludicrous, hilarious actor. And he jumps um, out the window. It's pretty funny. So yeah, despite encountering bad weather and the landing gear shearing off, Ted manages to land the plane with only minor injuries some passengers as they proceed to head to the gate, gate 8, gate 19, and having everybody land. Everybody jumps on the plane for their safety. You know, we've got uh, Robert Stack, Rex Kramer, just still monologuing, going on about this. <laughs> Nobody's um, listening. <laughs> Press you, know, you did good. Curd. You did good, Stryker. <laughs> Let me t- <laughs> Let me yeah, tell you about that big time moment. of the war. Um, yeah, yeah, Elaine embraces him, gives him a big old kiss, and uh, rekindle the relationship as they walk to the plane being evacuated. They witness the inflatable autopilot Otto taking control um, and taking over the plane. Where's he going? <laughs> he gets he can't land, but he can companion. take off. And they fly off together, yeah, and that's the end of the film. I would think taking off is even harder than landing. Oh, Lord, no. You literally, you just advance the throttles and make sure that you don't go off the runway and you're you're good to go. Taking off is extraordinarily easy. I'm going to do it right now, then. (laughs) Let's go. Let's take off. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, well, that's airplane. Um, so let's, uh, the plot storytelling, I mean, there isn't, like you say, it was not much of one. Um, it's just gag after gag, which is kind of the style of these guys' movies. But uh, the good actors kind of hold, held it up for me. One too many. 
uh, flashbacks, but they even made a gag out of that. So, like, that helped. Um, yeah, you know, plot storytelling wasn't really the point. Yeah, no, I mean, it was, it was very much like, um, you know, they were, they were the joke, but the, the fact that they were able to get so many, like, A plus, like, high grade legendary actors to just, like, play comedic roles because this was leslie nielsen's first comedic role ever he was notoriously famous for like huge drama roles and he was concerned about being stuck as like a grandfather sort of you know typecast and he oh man he had a whole second career yeah he literally got a second career because of this film um so like good for him and then the order of canada Oh, yeah, he did get an Order of Canada. Leslie Nielsen, OC. Man. <laughs> they don't hand those out often, do they? No. Well, you know, not that I, I don't have one. <laughs> yeah. you know, who else is in this movie? As, uh, as an air traffic controller named Gunderson is uh, Mr. Michael Airman Trout himself, Jonathan Banks. Very yeah, I saw him, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was like, "Oh, yo, it's uh, it's Jonathan Banks. What's he doing in here?" Yeah. Um, but he was so just like kind of like ancillary. I was like, "Oh, one hundred percent, yeah, more. yeah." It was. It was. No, it was he like, had. He had really nothing part. to do with the the plot at all. No, it's one of his first roles. But it's just fun to see him as as a super young guy who still has no hair. He's one of those people that was just permanently old. You know, he's like another Morgan Freeman. Well, like, he looked he was kind born of like... old. He looked like he did when he was in uh, the Gremlins film, so it's a good chance he probably filmed them both around the same time. Yeah. I mean, what, Gremlins came out in, what was it, 84? So, yeah. I was going to say 83, but yeah, around around there, for sure. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, no, that's, that's the, you know, that's kind of... It's not much of a plot in the story. Like, like, it's, it's, out of all the films that we've watched, this one is the most... I don't want to say it's it's a pretty hollow plot, but it's you know because there's a lot of fancy decoration and and it's it's the, the least bits. plot driven. That's for sure. Yeah. 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 Well, which performance would you hold up there, fellas? For me, Robert Stack and Leslie Nielsen. I'm gonna pick two. I liked uh, Leslie Nielsen's deadpan was pretty classic. I can see why it spawned a lot more of that, um, like legendary deadpan. Perfect for this kind of movie. Um, yeah. And Robert Stack, he was just kind of playing it straight the whole time, which was hilarious. Everyone else around him, especially that's why him and Bridges were such a good team. Bridges is so wacky, and Robert Stack's just playing it straight. He's frustrated, like, yeah. No, yeah, they had these like sort of, um, yeah, they they worked their characters well. For without a shadow of doubt, the one performance that held up for me was Lloyd Bridges. Um, His ability to to seamlessly live in a in a parody world um, and act like everything is completely normal um, and just blend. Like the whole scene where he's, you know, telling Ansel, like just just a 
background characters. You got to go do this. You do this. You do this. Where's where's Stack? His wife calls. He's like, you know, don't, you know, tell the milkman we don't need any more cheese. And he hangs up and he's just like just ripping off these lines and these directions. No more cheese. Pacing. Yeah. It's like he's so good. He's so good in the film. Um, yeah, and it's that's fun. Like his role. They just carried that over into Hot Shots. They just made him a yeah. Navy man. But it's the same guy. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah pretty was, much. Well, I slipped on a yeah. crab. Who put those crabs there? Yeah, he was he was an admiral in the first, and the president yeah, in the second, exactly. of course. Fantastic okay. stuff, though. You know, co- coming off of Marine One, the helicopter and waving his hat in the air, and the rotor blades chopping into smithereens that turn into confetti. <laughs> Great stuff. I mean, I love gag comedy. I really do. Classic. I, I love it. I love it. And airplane, a good and hot shots, they all have so much of it. You know, when Kramer hears about this, the shit's going to hit the fan. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's great stuff. Fuck yeah. There's some classic gags for this one, for sure. Yeah. All right, the setting and aesthetic. Uh, I mean, it's fine. It's wacky. Well, it's wacky. Yeah. It was made pretty detail. cheap. It doesn't look like they spent right. they spent their money on the actors, not the the props exactly. or the backgrounds sets, or the sets. Sets are terrible, and it, it was terrible yeah. on purpose, right? They filmed this mm-hmm. this jet plane, the Boeing seven hundred seven, um, and intentionally made it with uh, turboprop like propeller airplane noises. So you're seeing this jet flying through the air that normally makes jet sounds, but you'll notice that every time they show the jet from the outside, it goes. Like a big propeller plane, <laughs> because they were intentionally being like, <laughs> "We are so low budget, we cannot afford jet airplane noises." Or they were I, that was an intentional choice. It. I don't think it's oh, it was. It very. I don't. Was. I don't think it was so low budget because you guys, if you guys think it's low budget, you'll be surprised at the what the budget was for this film. Actually, I think they spent money on the actors. <laughs> um. I like even just to you... get Kareem Abdul-Jabbar to show up. Like, what do you think that costs? Well, I mean, you got to think about the airport. You got to think about the control tower. You got to think about you uh, know the fact that they actually ran a Boeing seven four seven through a gigantic plate glass window. Where, where's the forklift? Action? Forklift? It's over there by the baggage loader. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well that's a good point yeah, this probably did cost a fair bit of money <laughs> and it could still look cheap because they're spending money on some crazy shit yeah. uh, the only reason it some... looked cheap is because of lights and cameras but that's the 80s you know so uh, movie morsels for 1980s airplane uh for the famous scene of the boeing 747 crashing through the large windows inside the terminal producer john davison mentions that after the movie he received numerous letters from various pilots telling him that they have come very close to reenacting that very scene in real life with some pilots admitting that they had come so close as to touch the glass with the nose of their airplanes yikes um, 
to get inspiration for the Zaz Kentucky Fried Theater skits, directors Jerry Zucker, David Zucker, and Jim Abrams would leave a videotape running all night recording late-night television with the aim of spoofing the commercials. One night they recorded the movie uh, Zero Hour from 1957, which ultimately acted as the main inspiration for Airplane. Uh, the creators of Airplane acquired the rights to Zero Hour and used much of its plot and dialogue with a comedic twist. Um, Leslie Nielsen, known for his serious roles in the films like Forbidden Planet and The uh, Poseidon Adventure, was cast as Dr. Rumick in Airplane. This role marked a transition for him into comedic roles as he went on to become famous for his delivery in films like the Naked Gun series. According to his autobiography, Sir Christopher Lee turned down the role of Dr. Rumick. The role went to Leslie Nielsen. He described this as a huge mistake. Mm-hmm. So it could have been Christopher Lee in this part. Uh, I like Leslie Nielsen better in that role for sure. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't imagine it as anyone else. So to find out that like it was going to go to Christopher Lee is like, really? Wow. Um, Peter Graves known mostly, right? Peter Graves known mostly for playing uh, in uh, ostensibly conservative leading men, uh, pattern uh, paternal and authority figures. Said he uh, initially dismissed the script as disgusting craft. After rejecting the offer to his agent, Graves said he received a call with. Within an hour from producer uh, Hawk Kojic asking him to meet discussing the movie, Graves ultimately accepted uh, in the meeting because he was frightened to basically do the part because um, he was he really be playing a spoof himself. Nothing about service comedy, but I guess the, the big thing is he didn't want to be in. He didn't want to do the scene where he's like, "Well, Tommy, have you ever been with a naked man?" Like, he was really against that scene. And apparently he was pretty, mm-hmm. like... Um, Understandably so, but that's comedy gold. Yeah. You're gonna have to break some hearts for comedy, baby. <laughs> yeah, he was... Object- he, he basically is a character who was attracted to young boys and didn't commit to the to movie. He later signed on because his family and friends who had read the script thought the role was hilarious and eventually talked him into accepting the role. Um... The He's supposed line. to be letting his friends and family read the script that was probably for his eyes only. Anyway, uh, no, he he, he that's probably neither here should. Nor there. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> quite not. Um, the iconic line "Don't call me Shirley" was improvised by Leslie Nielsen during filming. The line became one of the most memorable quotes from the movie and was voted as number seventy nine movie quote by the American Film Institute. Um, Peter, still stop calling me Shirley. Yeah. Uh, Peter Graves, who played uh, Captain Clarence over, uh, initially turned down the role because he thought the script was too silly. However, reading, however, after reading it, he changed his mind and agreed to join the cast. His performance as the straight-faced, uh, oblivious pilot became a fan favorite. Um, the inflatable autopilot named Otto was operated by three different actors, a puppeteer, an animatronic a- operator, and an actor hidden inside the inflatable suit. This combination of techniques helped bring the character to life. Um, and then... Uh, oh, and Jimmy, alive he became. Yeah. yeah Jimmy J.J. Like Walker. Of the airplane movie world, I guess. He, he, yeah, I guess you could say that. Was it to, to take three people to do Jab with I thought it took like way yeah. more. No, it was three or four. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Jimmy J.J. Walker started the sitcom Good Times from 1974 as the windshield wiper man who falls from the plane after checking the oil. 
Walker had co-starred in the Concord Airport set from 1979 uh, just the previous year. That same year, in a chance encounter with producer uh, Hawk Co., uh, Jimmy was asked if he wanted to appear in Airplane. Although Walker did not actually take Co. seriously, he was indeed contacted by Co. shortly after to play a small walk-on role. Co. thought it was a uh, a subtle inside joke about Jimmy Walker's career decline in airport disaster films. Walker was reportedly paid $600 for his appearance. Um, so it was just like such a small part and such a like little thing. Uh, before this movie, when he was considered a dramatic actor, Leslie Nielsen appeared in Forbidden Planet in 1956, part of the premise in which Nielsen plays the commander of a spacecraft exploring the galaxy, who frequently goes on away missions with his first officer and the ship's doctor, or a major inspiration for Star Trek, the original series from 1966. And, and will be featured... On season two of Hold Up a Movie Podcast. Okay. <laughs> uh, Nielsen's own character served as inspiration for Captain James C. Kirk, William Shatner. Shatner appeared in the sequel, uh, Airplane 2, the sequel from 1982. Uh, Nielsen's next movie was with the Zucker very Brothers. Bad movie. That was a very yeah. bad movie. Well, the Zuckers and, and the Abrams did not. Uh, did not have anything to do with that movie because they were like, we thought of every joke you can think of to do with an yeah, airport. That so explains how doable. absolutely terrible it was. Yep. So they they went on and made the Naked Gun from Files of a Police Squad in 1998. Sorry, 88, which uh, paired him with uh, Ricardo Montalban, who had also appeared on Star Trek. Khan! Khan! Uh, cinematography by Joseph Baroque. Uh, edited by Patrick Kennedy, music by Elmer Bernstein, release date of July 2nd, 1980, runtime of 87 minutes with a budget of $3.5 million and a box office of $171 million. It was considered a huge smash hit in the 80s. That's, that's big. That's huge. The rewatchability. I'm going to say it does because some of these gags were funny even like the next day hearing them again. So some of these yeah. gags are just pretty timeless. Yeah, 100%. They, they're so funny. Yeah, I've seen this movie. I, I cannot count the number of times I've seen this movie, and it does not get old. I mean, of course, there's, there are some scenes where it's like, ah, right, okay. But really, I would say upwards of 80% of it is completely rewatchable humor. Yeah, and it, for me, I find it's hard for comedies to hold up. They're one of the artist genres to really hold up over time a lot of it's so of its era but no yeah. this one's great i don't know about a hundred percent of it but a good like 85 percent of it in my opinion holds up but it, it gets yeah, yeah. like easy rewatchability for me does it hold up uh yes yeah it does as a comedy but i would say in the modern socio-political world it does not i i don't think that if this movie were to be made today it would be received critically well i think it would be i think you could possibly say that about any movie made before 1980s yeah fair yeah yeah (laughs) even some after then (laughs) especially the comedies i mean like I agree with you to a degree there, Mike, but I think a worse example of that is when me and Murphy rewatched Animal House, and the whole time you watch that movie, you're just like, you feel offended. You're like, yeah. what? 
Like you're like this is awful. Like this is awful. And you and you don't feel there. You don't watch this movie and just sit there going, "This is awful." You're like every now and then you're like, "Ooh, spicy." You're like, yeah, like true enough. Like, yep. But, but like, <laughs> like the, yeah, the first there are degrees joke when he's to like, that. The, the first joke when he's doing the monologue and he comes back and it's just like the old lady's legs hanging from the ceiling. I was like, <laughs> oh. That's good. Well, that one's not offensive, though. You know what I mean? Like, there are some that are that are racially or or gender wise like offensive in this film, right? Well, there well there was one where they it's uh, a product of his time, and I love it. And I'm not I'm not shit talking it for that. I'm just saying that I'm I I hate the fact that I'm I'm forgetting his name, but it was the most like random cameo, and he just appeared as like the second suicide victim of of uh, the main character. I painted brown. No, not that guy. The guy before him, who was like the (laughs) uh, the Japanese soldier that like does. Oh yeah, and he yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Did anybody else recognize that guy? No. Really? Anything. Nobody else recognized him at all? It was such a like no. small role. It I was, was like, brief. Oh, wow. I didn't really pay that close attention. Um, I gotta pull it up because I'm I'm having some hard time remembering his name to be fair, but he's been in like a ton of movies. Um He was actually even in uh, everything everywhere all at once recently, um, which is why I'm Hey Kwan. Was that it? No, anyway. not Kiki Kwan. No, James Hong. Oh, James, oh, James Hong. James Hong that was, was James Hong? That was yeah, James, that was James Hong? Hong. Oh, shit. Yeah. Oh. James Hong. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what a waste of James Hong. Hey, James Hong. Pop on this plane. Well for that. I don't so, uh, that was a wishy-washy did. answer to the question there, Mike. Does it hold up? Uh, I definitely think it holds up. Absolutely, yeah. Okay. As a comedy movie, yeah. yes, it does. Yeah. All right. Well, we've just added it to the A category, airplane movies. Now let's just head over to theater two, why don't we? See what's happening over in that particular place. Oh my, this one, this movie. Well, we have <laughs> Air Force One over in theater two from nineteen ninety seven, starring Harrison Harry Ford. I'm sure people call him Harry, right? Harry Ford. Um, Indy or Gary Han Oldman. Solo. So, you know, this this movie stars Harry and Gary. Scary right? Gary. And Glenn Close, Wendy Crewson, and William H. Macy. Directed by Wolfgang Peterson. Can, can we just uh, yeah. talk for a second about how awesome William H. Macy is, please? Yeah, like, he's am I the only everything. one? Because I, I really, I really do enjoy William H Macy. Even he's the- usually good in bad movies. Like yeah. he's the best part of Mystery Men too. That's not a good movie, uh, but he, he's hilarious as the shoveler. I shovel yeah. well. I shovel very well. You hey, shovel great, honey, but you're, that doesn't make you a superhero. Is, and he's just how like, dare you say Mystery Men is not a good movie? That's such a heartfelt it movie. Isn't. It's wonderful. <laughs> It's a great film. Uh, oh. The bowler. Got the guy that can only be naked if nobody looks at him, or only be invisible when nobody looks at him. But he has to be naked to be yeah. invisible. He can go invisible, but only if nobody's watching. That's a hilarious gag. Yeah. I like that. 
Um, there's good gags in that movie, too. But he's the best part of it, and it's generally not a great movie. Anyway, this movie, also not a great movie, in my no, opinion. God, I had never seen no, this movie no. before. Um, oh, this is like a really wow. bad remake of a movie that came out like two years before it, Executive Decision. This is like a really bad Executive Decision. You remember Executive Decision, Mike Henry? Oh. Executive With uh, Decision Russell, is a terrible, Kurt Russell? terrible movie. Yeah, when they fly the it's, stealth But it's better than Denver. this. It is not. This is Die Hard no. in the Sky. It is. It actually was like critically acclaimed as being the, the, the Die Hard on a plane. If anything... If anything, this, this film was the last movie. of the Die Hard style movies that had come out after Die yes. Hard. This movie was so iconic at the time. I remember seeing it. And as I was watching this film, I'm like, I remember this fucking movie from beginning to end. This is one of the few movies in my brain that I can actually remember from like scene to scene, beginning to end, everything that pretty it's much really happens. It's a really good, bad movie. And Harrison no, Ford has not. said himself that Gary Oldman in this movie is his favorite, like, antithesis. It's his favorite, you know, enemy character. Yeah. They play He's his favorite well actor he's ever worked with. They I don't know. So it was well. kind of like a waste of Gary Oldman. I, thought, I have a lot of problems with no, this movie. It wasn't I was a waste expecting of Gary to like Oldman. it more. And I, I felt like I was justified because as a kid, I saw this trailer. It would come up a lot, and I'd see the poster and stuff, and all those things made me want to not watch this movie. It, it wasn't a waste of Gary Oldman. Here's why it wasn't a waste of Gary Oldman. Because Gary Oldman played such a good generic uh, Russian or you know Eastern Euro uh, terrorist bad guy that I had completely generic. forgotten that Gary Oldman was in this movie until we went to rewatch it. And I was like, wait, Gary Oldman's in this movie? You know what's funny wow. you say that? Funny you say that, because growing up, I had seen Gary Oldman in a million things, obviously. The Fifth Element, like, lots of things. Didn't realize um, that was Gary Dracula. Oldman for four None watches of, of that like, film. I was an adult. Like, I was probably 30 before I even knew who Gary Oldman was. I'm like, why do I always hear this name, Gary Oldman? People are always like, oh, Gary Oldman's the best actor. I'm like, well, how come I haven't seen him in anything? I'm like, I had in a ton of things. He's just like, he slips into the roles so well. Oh, absolutely. But that's the problem about this character he plays is it's just so generic. There's nothing memorable. There's nothing memorable about this movie at all. Trying to come up with a favorite oh. scene was almost impossible for me. Oof. There's nothing this memorable. A... The... Did you no, even watch I was... until the end when Harrison Ford puts that rope around Gary Oldman's neck? Uh, the action scenes were says, quite bad in this movie. Plane. Plane. This was like an action movie with... <laughs> Not an action star. And are you kidding not me? An action star. No, Indiana Jones and Han Solo are not. Are an you kidding star. me? Han Solo is not an action star. Action star character. I, and I, Indiana Jones is kind of a different thing too. Like as far as like being this like right now. <laughs> well, maybe Indiana, Indiana Jones, Jones, but yeah, maybe Indiana Jones. He's better in that for sure. But in this, like, this character he's playing is ridiculous. Like, this president, like, Dave Mater, Cousin Dave, would love this movie. It's another movie that makes the American president this, like, fucking superhero. The American yeah, presidents like can do any... I can't this wait is... to see when Joe Biden rips his fucking shirt off and starts, like, thrashing people. That's what I'm... Okay, 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 no, listen, listen, being, listen, listen. No, 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 no,
makes okay, you no, no, glorious listen, okay. beyond I glory and I get all it. those movies but, suck but, ass no no th- this them. movie is so much better if you think about this role is like imagine if this was joe biden or donald trump in this exact position doing all it's of just, these things that's not that doesn't make it, it better. would that's be dumb. no it makes it so much funnier because this is exactly no, what a goes through Ronald, probably trump's head or a lot of americana's heads where they're like my president basically needs to be like harrison ford but they'll never get that because they keep voting guys that are like twice the age of what harrison ford was in this movie I, like it's he's he's the perfect american president in this in like every sense of machoism and it's hilarious to so many degrees it's he's turned up to 10 but he's just like he just wants to watch his football game and be with his family and like he, he doesn't it's, so, I mean, it's just stupid shit too what do you mean no he doesn't he's just like he's like we're gonna stop playing nice now and everyone should be afraid of us i'm like you can't no one would ever fucking say that. Even George W. Like, Bush like, didn't yeah. say anything that yeah. stupid. We're not going to ever like, negotiate with terrorists ever again. Yeah, like, every we will not US negotiate with terrorists. They literally negotiate with every terrorist ever. Well, like, like, that's like literally Ryan, what they do. Right? Like, but imagine they how many how many Americans so want that Ricky to happen. Reiner back in the continental United States. <laughs> yes, they negotiate with terrorists. They, they know, well, according they to Harrison Ford, terrorist. they don't. And let's see what this trailer is about before we get into this more. It's awful. Tonight I come to you with a pledge to change America's policy. Atrocity and terror are not political weapons. And to those who would use them, your day is over. In a speech tonight in Moscow, the president issued a direct challenge to terrorist nations around the world. But the question remains, what are the risks involved in such a bold policy initiative? They hated your speech, didn't they? We're afraid we won't have the guts to back it up. Air Force One, clear for takeoff. Thank you for your hospitality, Moscow. The president's plane, Air Force One, has been hijacked. What do they want? They want General Radek released from prison. I will execute the hostage every half an hour. What are our airborne scenarios? Not a good Russian accent. Scenarios. My husband <laughs> will not negotiate. His wife, his daughter, I think he'll negotiate. How the hell did this happen? How the hell did they get Air Force One? Your national security advisor has been executed. He just bought you another half hour. Sir, prepare a shoot. I'm not leaving without my family. You know who I am? I'm the President of the United States. Jim isn't making this decision as a president. He's making it as a husband and a father. Let's not forget this president is a Medal of Honor winner. He knows how to fight. He has no right to take chances with his life. Give into their demands. You've got a job to do. It makes me so proud, Mr. President, that you stuck with us. You now faint. You have to faint around the American president. You're nothing like my father. Because he's the president, and We're it makes you want to faint. Migs. I'm sending in our F-15s to protect you. She said, Migs? Did Murphy faint? People die. Murphy fainted, didn't he? Where did he go? Murphy had already fainted because you saw the American president. So incredibly macho. Forget the leader of a political party. Party. If that doesn't get you jazzed up, I don't know what will.
This should have been Justin Trudeau. <laughs> oh, that would have been interesting. He knows how to box. <laughs> and he's and he's really adept at uh, putting on war paint. Yeah, some paint. So yeah, Air Force yeah. One, nineteen ninety-seven in the film Air Force One. Oh President boy. James Marshall, played by Harrison Ford, uh, along with his family and staff. Uh, James Marshall, what, they couldn't get away with John Rambo? <laughs> <laughs> no, he had to be a Marshall. Um, uh, you know, they're at the President's Palace in Kazakhstan, former Republic of the USSR. Um, mm-hmm. Well, you know, it, the the movie opens up with the former Republic of the USSR, and you get these like uh, yes, U.S. They fall into Kazakhstan. Yeah, th- this is supposed to be a, a joint operation between like U.S. Secret Service or I guess you know Marines and like oh, those would be Navy SEALs or Delta Force or whatever. But yeah, yeah, and then it can't whatever... be the Secret Service. They're too busy catching hackers. Remember, True. we looked that up. Yes. That's what the Secret yes. Service does. So okay, so it's 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 then yeah, it's it's what what Mike said, uh, Navy SEALs and probably the Russian version of Navy SEALs. Um, Spetsnaz. Yeah. Spetsnaz. Well, like yes, thank the, you. Yeah, the modern. Well, let's go with Spetsnaz. Spetsnaz. Yeah, they're 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 basically pulling off a joint operation while uh, Harrison Ford is delivering a speech. Marshall. Speech to the Russian nationals. Stupidest that. speech ever. I mean, other than the one in the American president. I was going to say, we keep having movies where presidents have terrible speeches. I was going to say, out of presidential speeches yeah. on this show, this is the better one. Look at all these. No, movies. the only good one is from is from it's, Lincoln. It's even worse that like he starts out in like the most stuttering and drunken sounding Russian I've ever heard in my life, and later in the movie they even make a point to be like, "I didn't know you speak Russian." <laughs> well, he doesn't. All right, and it's very clear <laughs> they should not have even tried. Um, so yeah. For doing so, so uh, the American Russian Special Forces have a successful joint operation where they capture this General Radic, who's a, a you know, a, a, I guess he's, I don't he's a military know, leader. He's, yeah, he's a dictator of a, a rogue neo-Soviet regime in Kazakhstan, apparently. Um, however, uh, you know, as everyone's getting aboard this flight, it's obviously going to be taken over by a dangerous turn uh it has a dangerous turn this group of radical loyalists led by Igor Khrushchev which is uh played by Gary Oldman um you know he played he infiltrates or the is plane. it or is it yeah there's no way to know there's no way to know well you know you get this you get this like um who is this guy? Again? Who's this guy? The obviously Gibbs. traitor among the bunch. Gene like, they, there, like yeah. they, they always give Gene this Stockwell. character away so early in movies. They just have to show you him being like, mm. Xander oh, Berkeley. Like, oh. That's right. Yeah, that's Xander Berkeley. Yeah, Xander Berkeley. He plays a uh, secret agent. Gibbs. Yeah, Secret Service agent Gibbs. Gibbs. So you know he's 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 not you know chasing after hackers. He's here to betray the president. Um, which, gives, you know. gives the bad guys whatever they want. <laughs> <laughs> oh. 
So yeah, basically, uh, he sets it off so that the the Radix loyalists lead. Uh, they basically infiltrate the plane and seize control, killing many security guards. Uh, security personnel go to take the president and his family hostage. Um, like that's crazy, team. though. That's gonna be the easiest way to steal Air Force One ever. Like they're not looking out for that. Like you could just knock out the guys that are coming onto the plane and like take their spot. Like, well, literally, is, that, like is it that easy? He just, he just walks into the secret <laughs> service room and he's like, "Hey, guys." Here are some reports. And they're like, oh, neat, reports. And then he just pulls mm. out a pistol and executes all three Secret Service dudes in a row. Like, I'm sorry, but they are carrying weapons and they are very much trained to use them at any time. And he's like, pew, pop, pop, pop. Pew. <laughs> yeah, this movie feels like it was written by a 14 year old. It's just like yes, so there is, there's basic a lot of suspension and bad. Of disbelief involved in watching this movie. Oh. Um, so yeah, oh, unbeknownst to the hijackers, <laughs> uh, you know, they, they managed to like get the plane as it's landing. Now, Mike, you're going to have to like explain this one a bit. They land and then yeah. they're just like, no, 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 take it over. Pull the plane up, pull the plane up. They go, land, go, go. So that means they've got their spoilers deployed and the wings no longer are generating lift. They've got their flaps all the way down, so the the speed is lowered. They've got their thrust reversers out, so the airplane is literally fighting itself going forward. And then they proceed to run off of the runway. A fully loaded 747, or in this case it's a VC-25, because it's technically just a 747 that's super updated to become the presidential aircraft. Uh, fully loaded, running off of the runway, and skidding to the side like that towards the camera. That airplane has just sheared off its landing gear and it's not going anywhere. I mean, case in point, there was a cargo 747 that was almost empty that came into Halifax Airport a couple of years ago. They went off the end of the runway and went into the grass. And that airplane was completely totaled and they had to cut it apart with torches to get rid of it. They couldn't even, like, recover the airframe. It was done. So, I mean, the entire concept of that airplane going off the runway and then just being like, oh, it's fine. We're going to take off on the taxiway over another airplane. I mean, no. Just end no. to the things in this movie that don't make sense. Yeah. To, with, yeah. Along with everything else. Dean Stockwell. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, Dean Stockwell. Was, <laughs> another waste. A treat. Um, so, yeah, unbeknownst to the hijackers, President Marshall manages to evade the capture and hide in the cargo hold of the plane. Uh, and that guy plays Simon Tarsus on Star Trek TNG. Which one? The guy in the middle? Yeah, with the red tie. That's Simon Tarsus. Is he it gets Tarsus? blamed for being a spy in the drumhead, even though it's not him. Oh. Simon Tarsus. Um, so, yeah. Uh, basically, they had to get a hold of Claire. They contact Vice President Catherine Bennett, played by Glenn Close, who's wearing a very bad wig in this whole film. Apparently, her hair was too short because she was filming something else. And was brought in as a like a last minute actor for this role, so she, she brought was a nothing own burger wig. in this movie. She was a big nothing burger. Um, so yeah, she has a big old satellite phone call and informs her of uh, his survival. Uh, Marshall does, uh, and with his help of military advisors, including Chief Staff uh, Lloyd Shepard, Dean Stockwell, and Major Caldwell, uh, played by William H Macy. Uh, they devise a plan to trick Kashukov into 
taking Air Force One to a lower altitude for mid-air refueling, allowing the hostage to parachute to safety. Now, Which, I did kind of make any sense, but that's fine. yeah. I I, I did <laughs> actually briefly <laughs> uh, went a little past one bit. This was Davin's hold-up scene uh, where he finds the phone. And the manual. Because by the time this happened in this movie, I was already like, I can't believe that's what this is what this movie is. Like, I was already <laughs> just shaking my head at how bad everything was. And I'm, I'm like, I want the rest of this movie to just be him reading that manual. I want us to keep cutting back to him for the next hour. And he's still reading that manual because that's what exi- would really happen. Like, he would need like an hour to read the, up how to do this shit instead of like the five seconds they have him read this manual power because he can power read too because he's the american president he can do anything that's right that's absolutely yeah. right that's absolutely right you yeah. should see they mentioned Joe in, Biden the, speed uh, in the preview there that he won the medal of honor so he could definitely take over this plane but like in the film they mentioned yeah he he won the medal of honor uh in vietnam for being a medevac helicopter pilot yeah, I was like, well, I this, that doesn't translate to... combat comes into that, but... Maybe... I mean, I guess. Maybe, like, you like know... This movie is, makes training. no sense. I can't believe it was made. I can't believe Look, they made this movie. it doesn't need to make sense. Yeah, Most but it has movies to be don't good. make sense. That's not true. <laughs> Die Hard I mean, doesn't make any sense. Die Hard's overrated. Oh, jeez. I mean, every action movie's overrated. If yeah, you're gonna sure. look for a real plot, right? You gotta you gotta turn off the brain and just accept the kitsch. I guess so. Accept the kitsch. Um sorry, like, I'm it's just... like folk art. Exactly, yeah. You just you I really need a really tweety shit. bird that runs in the wind. That's what I need. Um, so yeah, basically, uh, they devise a plan where they, as the K, the KC-10 tanker docks with Air Force One, Marshall assists in capturing one of the hijackers and escorts the hostages to the cargo hold. Um, yeah, the old Lockheed KC-10, where they, they aerial refuel and then, uh, Air Force One disconnects, so the, the fuel line comes out of the top of her, and there's a little spark and the flame rides all the way up to that KC-10 extender and explodes. When in reality, like there is, there is a boom operator on the back of that KC-10, and he's laying down with a big old window, and he's looking at exactly where that flying boom is going. He's directing that that fuel boom into the other aircraft and has an immediate fuel shutoff right beside him, because obviously he does. Yeah, I thought that too. Watching it, I'm like, yeah, right. <laughs> why would they do that like why why would they even risk this if that's what's going to happen um and, and the inside of this plane is so huge i mean maybe it is but it's like the fucking starship enterprise in there there's endless rooms to hide in i'm like this is an airplane just go get him oh, yeah. there's a guy running around <laughs> in the airplane you don't want him there it's an airplane Go get him. Like You are this, like uh, eight guys. He's one guy. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. an airplane. <laughs> go, go get him. Like, oh my god, I got this movie. They didn't I'm starting to enjoy how bad it was now just talking to you guys, but watching it, it's dreadful. 
It's so good, though. And I love how, no. like, out of the eight Terries that they have on board, right? And I'm going to call them Terries. Um, the pilot... Okay, number one, all of them look so supremely Russian. Because they are. Like, the actors are Russian. Um, and they all look just so... You know, just so angry Russian. So the angry pilot, Russian. The pilot was like... Yes. Yeah, one of them's the guy who... Wants Spider-Man's rent. Rent! <laughs> right, rent! Exactly. In the old Spider-Man movie. For whatever reason, he's the only pilot. They shot the other two Air Force One pilots. They shot them to death. And so this guy, as far as the movie is concerned, is the only person on board this aircraft who can fly it. And they continually bring him out of the cockpit and give him a gun to go hunt down the president. No, yeah, that's what, what? was... That's where my joke at the start of this episode came from. There are way more airplanes than there are pilots in this in this uh, in these yeah. movies tonight. Like airplane, no pilots. This one, no pilots. <laughs> Next one, guy's not a pilot. There are like no pilots in this airplanes movie review. Well, see, that's <laughs> Just... why we need to be doing the war airplanes movie review. Well, no, it shows you how they go to write airplane movies. It's like, all right, we want to do an airplane movie. First thing we got to do. Get rid of the pilots. Then it gets uh, exciting. It's like <laughs> every war airplane movie would disagree. Yeah, because it's all pew pew. Don't and, you tell me yeah. that Top Gun Maverick is not about Maverick? Oh my god, I will never watch Top Gun Maverick. You cannot make me watch Top Gun Maverick. You're missing out, sir. If you watched <laughs> Air Force One, if you put yourself through this movie, Top Gun Maverick is actually a legitimately good. Yeah, film. Top Gun Maverick is a far better movie than this one is. Um, so yeah, do the American flags come pre soiled? <laughs> yes, um, so with the president and his family uh under his control, Khrushchev demands the release of General Raddick in exchange for lives. Uh, Vice President Bennett is, is urged by Defense Secretary Walter Dean to declare Marshall incapable under the 25th Amendment to override Raddick's release, but she refuses. Uh, Marshall eventually breaks free with Khrushchev resulting in his death. So before we get to that, this was actually uh, Mike's favorite scene uh, that held up for him. Yeah, General Raddick thinking he's walking he's home free. He's got a... An Mi-24 Hind helicopter waiting right there for him. Oh, too bad, sucker. Gets William Defoe at the. Yeah, the he's final like, moment. He is being released. Ten steps from, from getting none away. other than Shawshank Prison, by the way. Yes, that the that's the same, same prison. prison as Shawshank Redemption. Mm-hmm. I love Shawshank. Well, now you have to, by implication, love Air Force One, because it no, shares. A similar set. Yeah. Nope. Nope. That's not how it works. <laughs> so, yeah. We, we, we use Vasquez rocks in every movie. <laughs> we, uh, yeah, we watch Raddick die, uh, basically, and then we get Marshall who eventually breaks free and his captors and engages in confrontation with Krishunov, uh, Gary Oldman character, resulting in his death of Krishunov, uh, basically telling him to get off of my plane. Get off my plane. Oh, that's awful. And, Get off! Oh, that so was what I remembered from the trailer. That's that's the line they 
for one, that's like the big line in the movie. They give it away in the trailer. And that was the movie in the trailer that made me not want to watch this movie as a kid. Get off oh, my plane. God. I was like, oh, that's terrible. No. <laughs> that's terrible. up there with any 80s to mid-90s action movie. You have to have, like, at least one no. really cheesy, like, you know, like an Arnold movie. You know, let off some steam, Benny. <laughs> but that's funny and clever. That's just like... Get off my plane is literally the most obvious line they could have written for that line. Like the most obvious one. You you'll never think of a more obvious one. Fall off my plane maybe is a slightly more, but you know this is awful. This is a trash fire, fellas. All right. So, uh, well, well, we we actually get up to we're not done yet. Um, so we thought that was the end. He got off his plane. No, he didn't get off his plane, actually. <laughs> he still has a, a, another third act to go, surprisingly, you, if, if you didn't notice. Um, there's the whole scene where Marshall and Caldwell managed to pilot the damaged Air Force One back to friendly airspace accompanied by F-15 fighter jets. However, they're pursued by a second group of Radix loyalists in MiG-29s, and one of the F-15 pilots... Uh, is going to sacrifice himself, but this is this leads to this leads to my favorite scene right here. This was my favorite scene out of this oh, whole film. Fuck, I hate this scene. Okay. You don't this scene here. You don't. You didn't like this oh, scene. God. It's all flying, sir. Just step on the ball. That's right. Just like riding a bike. Hello, flight. We are cleared to commit bearing zero nine zero. Remember, you're the American president. You can do anything. Sir. How far away are they? That scene's so that dope. Come on. Scene? That was my favorite scene in this whole movie. Where yeah, all the jets just like drop their, their fuel tanks and yeah, bust out. Full burner. Like the sound is dope. The scene's awesome. And the best part is it's practical. No. Oh, God. No, no, no. No, it is. Every no, it is. Every Perfect. jet scene is practical. It sure is not. Number one, it sure in, is. That, in that scene alone, I don't know where you read that, but in that scene alone, they have blue fire coming out of the back of their afterburner. Okay, 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 okay. Now, hang, on, hang on, hang on, hang on. No, 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 no. Oh, school, by the guy with no, the airplane No, mustache. no, hang on. It's, it's not all practical, but it is practical. The jets themselves are practical, but they added some effects like the blue flames. Is that why? No, like... no, 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 no. <laughs> like they're, they're actual flying f It is the Enterprise. <laughs> so the scene, no, the scene you're saying when, when Air Force One is flying and, and, and the MiGs back here, they launch some AA-7 Atoll missiles at, at Air Force One. Now you're talking, oh, you're that, talking that could have, No, I'm not right talking now. about that no, no, scene. No, 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 I'm no. talking... And then, and then the F-15 plays all secret service and he's like i'm gonna do i'm not what, talking like, about that scene. guys in movies do and i'm gonna throw myself in front of the president but he's <laughs> he's flying a fighter plane so he's like instead i'm gonna like and just fly my jet in front of this missile as if that was dumb. any human brain could comprehend the mathematics involved in putting yeah. your 700 mile an you hour could... jet in front of a mach 3 missile on a, on an intercept course to another 500 mile an hour jet yeah that's that crazy practical effects okay they are on the enterprise data i wasn't could do talking that. That about was that scene they there are i'm not saying all of the fucking scenes are practical but the majority of the scenes that involve jets are with actual practical jets flying in the sky 
Like, right? Like, like the well, obviously the action scenes. Camera at a jet than build one in its CGI. I'm, obviously, the action scenes had some embellishment with you know models like and special effects. Um, references you have for that because like, yep, send the documentation over to Mike Henry yeah, at gmail.com. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Mr. Pilot here disagrees. I uh, I've seen yeah. a lot a lot of aerial footage of real jets, and I'm telling you. Every single time, I even have it written down in the notes because I take notes for these, and I have it written down in the notes that like every damn scene with a fighter plane is the most fake thing I've ever seen in my life. They move in the most like serpentine, ridiculously unrealistic way. One of them, they don't. It's like good. bouncing like this, like Thunderbirds. Yeah, it's, it's it looked like a, a, a like a that, marionette, like Thunderbirds. The Hercules, the, the MC-130 Hercules, where they're doing that line transfer. The Hercules, that was a real shot for sure. You can tell. That's a real airplane flying. But whenever they had fighter planes on the screen or Air Force One most of the time, case in point being when Air Force One hits the water and does that cartwheel, like worst CGI <laughs> I've probably ever seen in mm, my entire life. Bad. It's laughably bad. It's a PlayStation 1 cutscene, for God's sakes. It's so bad. But he's standing there in the doorway and it like hits the right. water and he's still standing in the doorway. It's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> oh, yeah, that was bad. <laughs> so the explosion from that that like you know sacrificing jet caused some damage to the U, uh air force one so um a standby mc-130e aircraft called liberty 24 uh operated by the usa united special air force special operations command is called in for assistance uh the paradrumpers are set down on tether lines to rescue the survivors Marshall insists that his family and the injured shepherd be transferred first. However, it becomes clear that it's only time for one more transfer. Um, in a shocking twist, quote-unquote shocking twist, Gibbs reveals himself as the traitor killing Caldwell um, and the last pair of drumper. Marshall engages in a final struggle with Gibbs for control of the transfer line. And at the last moment, Marshall detaches the line and is reeled to safely by the MC-130E airman. The Air Force One, now inoperable, crashes into the Caspian Sea, killing Gibbs. Uh, it's a practical Marshall. effect, Mike. That, that's obviously not a practical effect. Oh my god. I said one scene. I'm trying to say the one scene with jets had practical effects, and you fucking y'all just be taking it out of control. I'm just, uh, I'm fairly confident that the only practical effect in this movie was Harrison Ford's wrinkles on his face. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so yeah, with Mar Marshall and his family safely in the MC-130 aircraft, the pilot changes the plans, call sign from Liberty 24 to Air Force One, and flies them back to safety. The ordeal comes to the end, and President Marshall's emergency as a hero, having successfully protected his family and the hostage on board Air Force One. Like, this is a practical shot, just saying. Yeah, uh, yeah, the Hercules probably is. The F-15s, probably not. Are, um, yes, they are, but do okay. You, do you have... Any idea how much it costs to operate a fighter jet like that? Uh, an F-15 or an F-18, any kind of twin-engine military turbofan uh, fighter jet, burns about 15 gallons of JP-4 jet fuel per second. So you're looking at about $10,000 per aircraft per flight hour to film. And you're telling me they put up six F-15s but they couldn't afford to make Air Force One look any better than like a Lego set when it fell into the water. 
they spent all of their money on putting Air Force jets up in the air for a 10-second shot. So you're convincing me. You're, yes, they spent all their money on Air Force jets, and that's why the CGI <laughs> looked like shit. It all makes yes. sense. Yeah. You've convinced me. Damn it. I'm on Team Murphy now. I mean... <laughs> okay. okay. We got to do something, and then I got some movie morsels for you. Just, just Plot just... storytelling. It's awful. Yeah. It was written by a 12-year-old. Um, it's awful. This is not a movie. At least not a movie plot. Like, there's 10 minutes worth of plot here. Uh, he's on a plane. Go catch him. <laughs> he's on a plane. You Anyway, there's so many plot holes and problems. It's just awful. I mean, it's it is the ultimate Americana dream machine for what they want. They're a real. If they could have this president, this is the president of the, that that America wants, but will never have. But this movie is so hollow. But it can be made all the more entertaining if you can just visualize or picture like Joe Biden doing any. No, of that the doesn't make it movie. better. No, it does. It does. It does because it's just so more absurd. Come no, on. it doesn't make you, it more are you absurd. Telling me, it makes it are more Are you telling me you don't want to see, like, like Biden be like, get off my No, plane. I don't. Would just, like, it would be I so politicians funny. To be the politicians that they are. I don't think we should, like, look at a politician and be like, you know what? That Behind the scenes, that politician is fucking Rambo. Listen, he is fucking better, Rambo. I know it. He would have to be, or else how could he be the yeah, American president? Like, fun fact, Donald Trump couldn't even read. But once he became president, the very second he became president, he became a master reader. Because that's did, how it works. Did as you, soon as did you get you, the title, President of the United States, in a movie, you can do fucking anything. And it's Trump, always boring. Trump stupid. actually used the theme from this movie during yes. his like inauguration. And uh, he thought... He basically thought the movie was real. Because he was, he was like... He was saying like Harrison Ford did a hell of a good thing for America when he saved people off of that plane. <laughs> I was probably Ford. being a little facetious there, but maybe, now, yeah. I mean, it is very, very pro-American, but I was surprised there were a couple of lines in it that were extremely anti-American and raised very good points. I wrote one of them down. It's when uh, when Gary Oldman was talking to uh, to the president. Uh, when when oh, Marshall had his hands all tied up, and he says, "You murdered one hundred thousand Iraqis to save a nickel on a gallon of gas, and you're going to lecture me about the rules of war? Don't!" And I was yeah. like, "Oh, geez, that's that's actually extremely valid." <laughs> like, I'm, I'm a little disappointed that, you didn't try that, that with the Russian that, accent. <laughs> that line should have been ninety percent of the lines in the movie, yeah, because that would reflect reality. But instead, yes. you get one line like that, just so they're like, no, we're balanced. You get one <laughs> line, and then the rest is just, USA, USA, USA. Like, well, he also. No. This mean, was not a movie. This was another propaganda machine. My dad doesn't We keep getting these every now and then. Well, yeah, no, exactly. When he's talking to the daughter, and, and, uh, and she says, you're a murderer. And, and Gary Oldman was like, your father is a murderer as well. You think it's different because he wears a tuxedo and he does it with a smart bomb? My dad's the president of the point. United States. He can do anything and it's fine. <laughs> mm. 
No, bad movie. I wasn't cheering for anyone. I didn't even want him. Like the only way thing I wanted him to do is I didn't like them pointing a gun at a little girl. I'm like, all right, kill this guy now. Go Harrison Ford. But literally, if they removed (laughs) the daughter from this movie, I wouldn't have cared about anything. I wouldn't have wanted. I wouldn't have wanted Harrison Ford to win. I probably would have been on the side of the fucking Kazakhstanis. Like it. It was. Yeah, this was not a good movie. Let's let's consider if it wasn't Harrison Ford and go with one of the other actors that was considered for the role of President Marshall. We have Arnold Schwarzenegger, Keanu Reeves, Dennis Quaid, Tom Hanks, John Malkovich, or Tommy Lee Jones. Can you imagine John? No, Malkovich? it should have been Randy Get Quaid. Off my plane! Like I, Randy Quaid would have been interesting. Yeah. Get off my well, plane! <laughs> I think that's a uh, high time for. This is my plane. A bit Get off. Of, uh... Movie if we keep morsels. skipping all our segments, no, it's not what? time for morsels. Okay, Which performance would you hold up? What do we do, movie morsels? What not? Ma- all right, uh, movie morsels is after setting aesthetic. It always is. Stop changing it. All right, all right. Which performance? Do you, n- n- I mean, Gary Oldman, I guess, because I didn't know it was Gary Oldman. Yeah, it has to be Gary Oldman. Like Gary Oldman or Harris. Actually, you know what? Because you picked Gary Oldman, I'm going to go with Dean Stockwell. Does Dean he Stockwell was have more than two lines in this movie? Yeah, dude. He's This whole oh, thing yeah. is trying to get like the 25th Amendment passed so that like they don't yeah. breathe Raddick and they they yeah. just basically take out Air Force One. When yeah. Kennedy was killed. Yeah. Yeah, there's, was, a, there's a whole is, thing with his character. He was the actual politician. I would say the Russian pilot, uh, just for the fact that when when he's trying to take Air Force One back off the ground again, and he's trying to he's trying to take it up over that that he's sweating. forty-one star lifter, he goes, yeah. and his his top teeth are just, and he's freaking out, and he reminds me a lot of Ted Stryker when Ted Stryker was landing the airplane in airplane, yeah, and the sweat is There's pouring off like of he just got out of a pool, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's beautiful, pretty funny, beautiful acting, it's good stuff, yeah. Agreed. Setting aesthetic, no, just CGI is awful, and the it was all practical planes look like marionettes. Maybe love the setting aesthetic. Uh, I didn't say I love the setting aesthetic. I, I, I fucking go on about one scene that I was like, this was cool, and apparently it was practical, which makes it cooler to me, <laughs> and apparently I'm getting on my knees and blowing the set designer and the fucking cinematographer, because I think this movie's fantastic all of a sudden. That's the is rumor. That, is that what you take, is that what you took from that? Is that what you, is that what you picked up from the, my one scene that I tried to I mean, show a hold up? You basically said that every single effect in this movie was, was for No! Like, that every time, I did every not. time a, a machine gun was yeah, shot at did. somebody, You're putting they words actually died. Play back the tape! Play back the tape! You're putting Wait, words in my mouth. I literally first. said that most of the jet scenes in this film were practical. Anyway, the actor you're speaking of, his name was uh, uh, Elia Baskin, and he plays yeah. a lot of popular like russian characters oh yeah um he does all right yeah, now the it's time for okay all right sure yeah the setting aesthetics all right but yeah movie morsels 
so yeah the reason why i was jumping into it is because on top of mike's note about all the other you know people like malkovich and uh schwarzenegger the it was originally kevin malkovich costner. would have been so weird kevin costner was originally the one that was considered for the role of president james marshall um but he was committed to the postman from 97 and he suggested harrison ford for the part Gene Hackman was considered for the role of President James Marshall, but he turned down the part because he considered the script lousy. Um, he said, can I play it Polish? <laughs> I mean, maybe that's why he turned it down to. John Malkovich was considered to play President James Marshall in this film, but he had worked with Wolfgang Peterson before on In the Line Get of Get off my plane. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, see, uh, I, I would like this movie if it was John Malkovich. Now I'm convinced there was one way to save this movie, and they didn't take that route. Um, but yeah, he 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 he, he worked with Wolfgang Peterson before in, in Line of Fire, in which he played Clint Eastwood's nemesis Mitch Leary, who goes by the alias John Booth, uh, James Carney, etc. But he turned it down so he could be in Con Air. So that's why he turned down this plane movie to be in another plane movie. Um, Almost arguably picked that one too. A far better plane movie, but. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Why didn't you pick that one? <laughs> Air Force uh, One has a has a cheesy like it, it's got a certain aesthetic to it. It really does. Con Air is a better film for sure, but that's like picking uh, like uh, Apocalypse Now versus Hamburger Hill for a Vietnam yeah. movie. You know, Do Apocalypse Now is a better movie. Here. Hamburger Hill is a better Vietnam movie. So you gotta apples and mangoes. Uh, many of the action sequences in the film were shot in a decommissioned Boeing 747, which was modified to resemble Air Force One. The crew used practical effects and sets to create the intense and suspenseful moments on board the aircraft. Um, the movie features a stellar you know, supporting cast, including Glenn Close as Vice President Kathy Bennett. Uh, that was meant to be deleted. Um, Wolfgang Peterson's commentary says that the original script explained that Secret Service agent Gibbs had been a CIA spook and had lost status due to the ending of the Cold War. He was angry at the U.S. government and knew that the terrorists from his and knew the terrorists from his CIA days in the novel. It was explained that Gibbs was a former USSR sleeper agent. Ultimately, it took too long to reveal any of this as a backstory, so it was omitted from the script. Um, which explains all of Gibbs' motivation, and I kind of wish they put it in, because that was one of the things I'm like, why is this guy doing any of this? What's his motivation? Especially right to the end, when all the Terrys had been killed, and he was literally still there and could have just been rescued with the president and gone on to continue like doing whatever it was that he wanted to do. But instead he's like, yes! nope, I'm going to shoot William H. Macy and, and show myself as the traitor when there are literally only three of us left and nobody knows that I'm a traitor. It was so baffling. They made this movie. I can't believe after 45 (laughs) actors turned it down telling them it was a shit script, they were like, you know what, let's just make it anyway. It's like, those 45 actors don't know shit. What do they know about scripts? Uh, Well, you know, uh, the film director... Film director uh, Wolfgang Peterson worked closely with the U.S. Air Force to accurately depict the protocols and procedures on board Air Force One. Initially, Wolfgang Peterson was denied access to the real-life Air Force One. However, a telephone call from Harrison Ford to the White House soon changed that. Uh, This collaboration helped lend an air of authenticity to the film. 
<laughs> Air Force One um, security procedure one. If there's a maniac with a gun loose on the plane, do not, whatever you do, do not catch them. Do not apprehend <laughs> them. Let them run around your airplane forever and sabotage it. In many, well, let them, let, and... it, let them release fuel. Let them do whatever they got to do because it's and safer that thing, way. But I mean, the team of Russians, there was what, eight guys, whatever. You're, you're on board Air Force One that has like 20 to 30 Secret Service agents that are carrying sidearms. Secret Service guys are like previous special forces or, or high ranking police officers. Like, or we're looking for hackers. That are, We've that been are over this. Trained. <laughs> no, no. Secret, secret Service guys are there to man. stop hacking. <laughs> Not the ones yeah. that are right next to the president, though. Well, them too. Them too. It's surprising. Yeah. Um, they were looking for people of... to hack the president. People hacking the plane? That doesn't bother them. It's <laughs> hacking the internet. That's the problem. Okay. And, um, uh, you know, honestly, any American president could take out 500 Russian goons anyway. Because USA. That's why. Well, I don't know if they're technically Russians. I think they're supposed to technically Kazakhstan. But. Yeah, well, um, whatever. Soviet at the time. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah ex USSR. They want, anyway, they want um, the Soviet Union back. Gary Oldman's performance earned him the nickname Scary Gary. During production, however, he did not stay in character between the scenes, Wolfgang Peterson calling the filming experience Air Force fun because of how comedic and genial Oldman and Harrison Ford would be off screen. He also said that Oldman would suddenly return to the menacing film persona instantly. Ford has since named Oldman as his favorite on-screen nemesis. Um, <laughs> this is fun. Randy Newman was originally hired to provide the film's score. However, that would have been better. Wolfgang Peterson felt it was too serious to the point of being unintentionally funny. So they got yeah. Jerry Goldsmith was hired at the last minute and had 12 days to come up with an alternative score. Newman later recycled some of his rejected score for Toy Story 3 in 2010. Now, which is a way better movie than this. Toy Story 3 is <laughs> way, way better than this movie. Um, was apparently like over directed on how he would do the score and went on record later as saying like I never ever want to be brought in to redo a score for the rest of my career he would never do it because he was so unimpressed with this but I'll say like I don't know I really enjoyed the main title theme to this film I thought the the score was perfect it sounded almost like uh like Basil Polidoro's music like he did uh, Starship Troopers Flight of the Intruder he's done a few like Basil Paldurus, I mean, has done a few like really, you know, high ranking military style uh, themes where it's it is it's trumpets and it's it's meant to be like Viva America, Viva the military, rah rah rah. But like it gets the point across. It's it's well done for what it's trying to do. I thought. Yeah. Um, and for the final movie morsel for this one, after successfully rescuing the president, the MC-130 pilot says Liberty 24 is changing call signs. Liberty 24 is now Air Force One. Technically, yeah, any Air Force aircraft carrying the president is Air Force One. The helicopter presidents fly. The helicopter the president flies in is Marine, Marine One. one. Yeah. 
uh, because the Marine Corps is in charge of the aircraft. If the president flies on a Navy aircraft, it would be Navy one. Who won? Um, Since the Air Air Force maintains the president's plane, it's designated Air Force One. If the president is a civilian aircraft, its call sign would be Executive One. Um, It's an executive decision, which is a better movie than this movie. If the president is flying in an Air Force aircraft, it's called Air Force Two. Fun fact. Uh, Cinematography by Michael Ballhouse. Ballhouse? Ballhouse? Anyway, uh, edited by Richard Francis Bruce, music by Jerry Goldsmith, release date of July 25th, 1997, running time of 124 minutes, a budget of $85 million, and with a box office of $315.2 million. This is Gosh, to have it's, it's almost like people liked this movie or something. It's a lot of people like this movie globally. <laughs> I'm sure there's a lot of Americans who love this movie. It was like this was one of the biggest action films to come out that year almost. It's a bad movie. <laughs> one of the worst I've seen. Really is. It's there was nothing here redeemable. This was ninety seven, wasn't it? Uh, yes. Was it 90s? Better movie. This movie had been made 50 times before this. Wow, they made 315 million during the year of Titanic. That's. that's Newsflash Titanic. Bad movie as well. Oh! Bad movies make money all the time. Come on. One's called Avatar. Made a shit ton of money. Okay, yeah, Avatar. The most recycled plot ever. And right, it's just dances uh, but, with wolves, but with blue. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but no with stands blue. with a fist. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's it's an awful movie. This is an awful movie. Let's move on. <laughs> Rewatchability. Oh, no. very low. Very low. No. Yeah. Once no. you've seen it once, you've seen it a thousand times. Yes. You know, and it's I felt like true. I saw it a thousand times halfway through. I I I watched this movie once when I was like how old was I in seven? I, I would have been nine. I would have been nine in ninety seven. No, I would have been I was twelve. No, I would have so been, no, you wouldn't have been nine. You would have been like eleven. No, I would have been 10, yeah, maybe? I would have been eleven, yeah. Sorry, my math is backwards. I would have been eleven. Eighty I was born in eighty six, so yeah, I would have been eleven. So I was eleven in ninety seven. I saw this movie that once. Um and I, I was like, you know what? I, I vaguely recall the events of that film. And I watched this film and I was like, no, I don't vaguely I recall every moment of that film to a T. Well, because they were good and memorable just because they're obvious and basic. I don't know. They were pretty good and memorable at the time. I was like, wow, that was a pretty awesome movie. I thought it was like neat. And, and that's how I, and I'm not going to lie. I probably carried that mental image of what American presidents were or should have been for probably far longer than I should have. You and cousin Dave both. <laughs> um, so, yeah, yeah, you know, uh, do what I re- you know what? I think I could rewatch this film again. Um, it wasn't the worst. I had fun. I watching still it could. I could still definitely rewatch it, but like it's it's not it's not a film that I would ever voluntarily go back and be like, you know what I want to watch again is Air Force One. 
But if I met somebody who had never seen it, I'd be like, oh yeah, no, let's let's check it out. Like I'd watch it again, but not not just not just by voluntary choice. No. You'll graciously volunteer us all to watch it though. That's right. That's right. You didn't know that. You, this was a punishment pick. Um <laughs> Does it hold up? No, it doesn't not hold no. up. No, not at It held up as well as Air Force One. <laughs> it turned into Lego. This was a Lego disaster of a movie. Yes. Yes, it does hold up. You're a liar, Murphy. I'm that not was a that liar. that is a controversy pick. That is not this a is controversy ridiculous. pick. This this movie holds up. As a as a ninety seven action film, this I would say almost goes up there with Jurassic Park. Now I know you're just being a controversial <laughs> bastard. Okay, okay, maybe that's maybe I'm joking about the Jurassic Park line, but I still think it's a great action film, uh, and it's formative, and it was one that I remember from my youth. I think this film holds up. So I wouldn't say that the Odd. film holds up, but there is another quote that I did write down because I was like, "Is this Putin? Is is Putin saying this right now?" When um, when Gary Oldman says, when Mother Russia becomes one great nation again, when the capitalists are dragged from the Kremlin and shot in the street, when our enemies run and hide in fear at the mention of our name, and America begs our forgiveness on that great day of deliverance, you will know what I want. And I'm like, when oh, the yeah, capitalists- yeah, no. Yeah, Someone the capitalists got what's know. coming to, or will get what's coming to them and deserve <laughs> it, man. <laughs> the greed is not a virtue. Um, right. Not a good one. Like the whole like cap capitalism versus communism argument is crazy because they're both shitty ideas. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Read the capitalism Star Trek is, uh, melding of the two. The, the worst type of government. Except for for all, all the, the others, other ones. you're yeah. right there, Winston. Uh, and I don't even know if that's true. Actually, it seemed like that for a while, but the whole fact that there's a one percent that exists, capitalism failed quite quite royally. Um, well, humanity well, failed, really, right? Like, no, no, failed. no. No matter what, no, no. Governmental situation you've got going on. Human greed will always win. It'll lose. It'll well, lose yeah, in the end. Yeah. Star Trek's gonna happen. It'll just. Well, uh, I say we go from the American capitalist society to the Japanese capitalist society. Japanese imperialist and society. theater three imperialist society. Yeah, that's that's the more correct term. Theater three. All right. Well, in theater three, what do we have here? We have. Oh, does this start Harrison Ford too? No. All right. So we have The Wind Rises from 2013 starring Hideki Ano, Miyori Takemoto, Hidetoshi Nishijima, and Masahiko Nishimura, and Morio Kazama, directed by Hayao 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 Miyazaki. Hayao Miyazaki. Uh, this this movie feels like something you watch in like school or something where they like really want you to love uh like 
freaking like John A. McDonald or something. It's just like they like they took an individual and just like glorified their life to like a like a mind numbing degree. Where it's just like every every moment of this person's life is like super altruistic and noble and to the to like to the purpose of his goals and like uh, this movie was slow, boring. I didn't care about the character because it just felt like a fluff piece. It felt like whoever this mo movie's about paid to make have this movie made. Like, yeah. Wow. I mean, this you can say that about almost any biopic, really, right? Like any biopic is made to to make that that biographical character uh, stand out as being the best person around. Or they aren't. Right. There are a lot of biopics that take the opposite tact. Yeah. And there are ones that try to be more centrist and usually fail at that, but at least try. This is not that. This is a fluff piece. This is a like, I don't know if this is a very, like, uh, renowned person in Japan. I'm not aware of this individual. Uh, you've never oh, heard of Studio Ghibli. You've never, ever heard of Studio Ghibli. Yeah, I've heard of the studio. I'm talking about the character. Oh, okay, the character. So... Well, the character is based on the actual inventor of the Mitsubishi A6M0. Yeah, right. I figured it was just a real person that's quite like you know thought of. Uh, okay, okay, loud. okay, it's okay, stuff, okay. But like, okay, yeah, it's just hang like. On. Hold up, hold up, hang on. One, I feel like they took an inventor the, and just made him Jesus. One, the character in this film is fictional, but he's based off of. Yeah, the... I said Jesus. Yes, Jesus. <laughs> Uh, th he's based off of uh, the artist uh, who originally wrote like a manga comic, which is this movie's based off of, and uh, a certain engineer uh, as well. Yeah, so it's it's the, sort of like a combination that of things. The A6M0, which is which is what the whole movie is about, is him eventually designing uh, what turned out to be in the beginning of World War II the, the greatest fighter aircraft that had ever seen the skies amazing amazing aircraft and an amazing designer and this was very much based off of his life very yeah, it, very closely it, just uh, it was just with that it, case of hero worship that you're mentioning Devin. well sure. it, it was it wasn't so much very closely based off his life it was more or less like the pivotal historical events of the evolution of planes those were based off his life his actual like day-to-day -day, like live life nuance stuff that's all fictional like the girl, the story, all that stuff. That's all fictional. But like the the things that like where he's building the planes and designing things and stuff like that, that has the air of 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 truth to this film. Um, I felt it just started off I mean, kind of sweet, and it just. Jiro Horikoshi me. is literally the designer of the the A six M. Okay, you can't see that, but can't it, see it that looks it looks very much like the character in this film. It, it it was very much based on Jiro, the guy that shares the same name. Who designed the same airplanes in the movie? It's it's not a fictionalized character at all. It's 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 very much based on the real guy that designed that airplane. They just they Jesusify him is all. They deify yes, him. Like yeah, they embellish him a bit. A lot, a lot. But it is yeah. it's, it's the same name. It's the same name. It, yeah. it looks like the same guy. He had the same glasses. He has the same. Character yeah, yeah. He's 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 it he's the template of the character in the film. What it's I'm not saying based is on like, the guy that invented manga or whatever. It's it's no no it's no 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 no. Is supposed to be no, no 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 no. That, that's what I said. Is there was a manga based off of this guy, right? 
and this film is based off of that manga. But the character Jiro Horikoshi, he's real, yes. And the like historical events of him building the plane is like the is what basically has built this whole film. But also his and visiting Germany and talking to the Italian aircraft designers, like stuff like that. Like like yeah, that's that's somewhat real. But like his like day to day life is like the saving the girl and the train and all that stuff. That's 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 all fictionalized, right? so yeah, let's let's crack. Them I found the this. the regular switching of animation styles kind of distracting as well. That didn't really work for me. Um, it was it'd be it like a like painting a pr- all of a sudden. Then it would be like super cartoony, like uh, like Hanna Barbera, and then it would be like more like anime. It just kept switching. That's Miyazaki. You better get compared. You better distracting. get used to that, sir. That's basically going to be like the next not. two films. Oh God. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> he, Why did the, you make me watch four made, animes in a row? They get, the guy that made this film makes Princess Mononoke and Totoro. So, yeah. like, we've got a lot of Miyayaki. I mean, this is like, this This guy is like the kingpin of anime. He's the guy that, it's like, true. he's made the holy grail of anime films. So, like, this is... Oh, I'm not impressed so anime. far. Well, this I mean, this his is last his last film. film. Well, yeah. Yeah. yeah, this was his last film, yeah. Um, and Studio so. Ghibli, fun fact, was was named after uh, an Italian aircraft that was invented by Caproni, who was uh, heavily featured in the uh, all throughout this film, really. Yeah, this Italian is sort of. Designers. Yeah, let's watch this trailer and we'll crack into this, shall we? Oh, the soundtrack for this movie, beautiful. Like, yeah, that's the other thing. Good. Soundtracks is this this man's films is just gorgeous. Yeah, it was probably the highlight for me. Like, I wanted to just relax and enjoy this movie more, but it was just boring. Spirited away as well. That's right. Yep, that's a good one. It's not a masterpiece. Come on. Well, it's just, it's you know it's a story of life and like living and, and living to the, your full potential and your dreams potential, right? Again, I like I'll... that theme. That's why it's my scene that I picked. But like the movie didn't express that very well. It just deified this guy, and there was no struggle. There was nothing. Oh, I would definitely disagree with that. But we'll get yeah. into that. This guy had a lot of struggles. <laughs> I mean, he had obstacles, but like not in the in a narrative sense of this movie. I don't know. I definitely think he did. He, he struggled with with the concept of even designing warplanes. He struggled with the, the death of his his one true love. I mean, he had struggles, he had obstacles. It's all there. I mean, it started off with, like... Well, we'll get to it, because my scenes will be coming up here right quick. Uh, Yeah, so uh, the wind rises... uh, Sorry, I skipped a little harder today. Yeah, the wind rises in the film, The Wind Rises, uh, 2013. We follow the story of... Uh, Jiro Horikoshi, um, who's a young boy who dreams of, you know... Flying planes, 
we get through his dream sequence where he's flying around and, and it's really trippy seeing like these sort of like imaginations of like air balloons and stuff like that um go through it you could never um, tell when this movie was his dream or when it was actually what was happening it was just like very confusing. i think that was intentional yeah. there was a it lot was of there was a lot like that at, at the beginning though yeah yeah. I was super upset at the beginning because, like, the airplane had like feathers on the wingtips, and I was like, "What am I watching?" Mm-hmm. And then there were all kinds of airships, and I was like, "Is Murphy really putting me through this right now? This kind <laughs> of airplane movie?" And then I was like, "Oh, okay, it's a dream sequence." And then it goes to actual real airplanes, and I'm like, "Whoa, boy, that was close!" Because I was about to just shut this off. Like, I... <laughs> uh, so fun fact: I don't know if you guys. You guys probably didn't know this. We we pretty much all agree. We watched the dubs version, you know, or not the dubs, the subs. Yeah. We watched subtitles in the original. So apparently, uh, the English dub version, and this is something I'm gonna attempt to rewatch, has like, has like Joseph Martin Short and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Joseph Gordon Levitt is the main character. Stanley yeah. Tucci plays Caproni. Emily Blunt is like Satomi. Martin Short is it? John Krasinski is his buddy. It's just like whoa. Yeah, it's, and it's like, insanely star-studded. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, Yuro Hoshiki is a young Japanese boy with the dream of becoming a pilot in 1916. Uh, however, his nearsightedness... Okay, here's some... a... Go ahead. Here's my next problem. He, this movie starts off with him as a little boy, and I figured that out. But then I got confused because later he's older, but because it's anime and everyone looks 12... He looks the same, and I, I. It took me like half this movie to realize it was he was a kid, and then he got older because he looked the exact same. His mother looks the same age as him. Anime has two faces: baby face and missing a tooth. Obviously, very scraggly and old. Like Uncle, there's no Uncle in between Uncle. ground. Yeah. Everyone from the age of fourteen to like fifty eight looks the same in anime, and that's why it just doesn't work for me. To I hate be the fair, faces. That's that's. I mean, that's kind of accurate for, like, the Japanese people, though. Like, I can't tell. <laughs> if, if if I'm looking at a Japanese dude or a woman, and they are between, what? like, 20 and 40... We're shutting this down right now. Podcast over. Podcast <laughs> over. All right. It was nice knowing um, you, Mike. You're never coming back. All right, continue. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, um... He's basically he's nearsighted and he wants to fly, but he he he's, he can't pursue his passion. One night he has a vivid dream of uh, Giovanni Battisti Caproni, who is played by Stanley Tucci or Mansai Nomorua. Um, and this is uh, yeah, which I was like, wow, Tucci. This is he's an Italian an Italian aircraft designer who advises him that building planes is better than flying them. Um, it's my you know, scene. He, yeah, this is this leads up to uh, Davin's scene here, which carry a hundred people across the Atlantic both ways. Mr. Caproni, may I ask you a question? I know I can't be a pilot because of my eyesight. If I'm not a pilot, can I still design airplanes? Japanese boy. I've been around planes all of my life. Do you know how many I've flown? None! Another one! <laughs> many can fly airplanes, but I design them. I create airplanes, and so can you. An aeronautical engineer! Yes! But remember this, Japanese boy. Airplanes are not tools for war. They are not for making money. 
Airplanes are beautiful dreams. Engineers turn dreams into reality. Yes. Arrivederci. We'll meet again. That's just. I mean, that, that was, was kind of great. The idea. the tone, which I was kind of into. I'm like, that's kind of nice. But then, like again, the movie kind of lost all that theme and tone for me. Well, I think that was the intention. Like the the whole theme and tone of this film is the beauty and discovery of the of flight, and then ultimately it's like what's well, going to become of that? You know, well, this is where like the obvious leading steps of of the end of the film, obviously. Um, so yeah, uh, uh, right. Where was I? So yeah, we have that dream. He wakes up and he declares to his mother that he wants to become uh, an aeronautic engineer um and then we get a seamless transition to him being on a train uh uh several years later in 1923 uh he's on a train to study aeronautical engineering uh when a powerful earthquake strikes uh he helps a young girl named nahoka satomi emily blunt or miro takimoto and uh, her injured maid to safety, but they part ways without exchanging names. Um, this whole scene, this like earthquake scene, when I saw it in the trailer, I thought it was actually going to be like the like a bomb. Like I was expecting like a bomb sort of stuff, but then I realized it was like way too early for that watching the film. And then I was like, oh, it's an earthquake. What an interesting way to um, sort of present an earthquake and that was this was the first sort of moment in the film i started like picking up on the fact that anytime there was an explosion or an engine sound it was always beatboxed it was never like mechanical it was always somebody going and like the wind sounds and if it was like earth or like or like an earthquake or fire it was always just like a cacophony of people making the sounds with their mouths and I thought that shit was brilliant, and it, it added a really eerie tone to a lot of a lot of these scenes. Um, I don't know what you guys thought that. about that. You didn't pick up on that. Oh, oh yeah, no. If you go back and watch it, every time a plane engine starts, there's an explosion. Um, you know, the wind blows and stuff like that. It's somebody basically beatboxing uh, all this stuff. Um, so yeah, uh, Jiro helps this uh, this daughter and their maid uh, basically get back, and he and he dips. He goes off to the school. Um, Teppo, before or after he saves the boy from the bullies, like he's just going around being Jesus. No, this like, was he after heals he saves the blind the man. Boy. Well, and he, then he... <laughs> no, you're getting ridiculous. He he saves one no, kid man. from you know getting beat up, and then he you know. He's he's over here helping. He's like he's a nice guy. He's a nice solid guy. He teaches Amanda fish, you know. Yeah, he does. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is where we get introduced to uh, the Hanjo character, uh, who's I guess apparently played by John Krasinski in the English dub. Um, this this leads to my favorite scene in the film, actually. Uh, <laughs> Crony's big dream plane is about to go for its first flight. Yeah, this was bonkers. I liked this plane design. This was bonkers awesome. It's a real 
flew once, and then it crashed into the water. <laughs> Much like, like that. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty good too. That was pretty good scene. Yeah, that was that was my favorite because he's just like he's so excited for this thing, and then he's just like the the look on the camera guy's face as he like rips out all the film and smashes the camera. I'm sitting there just like, I know his pain. I know what that would be. You're just like, I got these great shots of this plane flying, and no, it's all gone now. Like just ruined um so yeah that was that was my favorite scene i like that one a lot um so yeah it was big cronies a uh, big aircraft design uh that gets you know crashed into the ground um so yeah uh in 25 year graduates from university and begins working at the mitsubishi corporation mitsubishi corporation uh, as an aircraft designer, uh, he becomes determined to create a revolutionary fighter jet, the Falcon, but uh, struggles with the ethical implications of its potential use in war. Um, he seeks guidance from Caproni in his dreams throughout the film, um, alongside his friends uh, Kiro Hanjo, who's played by John Krasinski, or Hitoshi Nishijima. Uh, they're assigned to design a fighter plane for the Imperial Army. Um, the initial designs... Uh, wait, wait, where, where am I? Yeah, the designs... Yeah, their initial designs, the uh, Mitsubishi uh, 1MF9 uh, fails during testing. Um, feeling disillusioned with the state of the Japanese aircraft technology... Uh, Jiro and Hojiro travel to the Weimar Republic in 1929 to learn from Germany's advancements, where they encounter hostility, but are impressed by the Junker G38 and its possibilities for peaceful purposes. Now, just so like I'm up and up, uh, Mike, were all the planes in this film like accurate? Like, oh yeah, the, yeah, like... these were all real aircraft, yeah, including that gigantic Junkers that had. Uh, uh sections for passengers inside the wing roots like it was it was gigantic enough that you you could be in the wings as a passenger uh yeah they were all they were all real aircraft designs and the, the they... 20s and 30s the interwar years were an absolutely wild time they were called the golden years of aviation and it was just every designer that could come up with the craziest stuff would just get money and go do it you know, and it, and it resulted in that. There you go. There's the crazy passenger wing airplane. Like that is mental. That actually existed. Yeah, like yeah. where do the people go? They're like the wings. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, yeah, they had a man basically manning each engine in the wing, didn't they? Like that's how they had uh, to run that thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, back in the day when you had uh, these big old engines, I mean, they would just spit oil everywhere. They required constant maintenance. You needed somebody maintaining the engines. I mean, right up until the, the late 80s and 90s, every bigger airplane had a flight engineer whose, whose sole job, I mean, that was my dad's job. He was a flight engineer on, on military aircraft, was just to watch the engines and the systems and to tell the pilots when they were doing their job poorly, right? I mean, nowadays you've got FADEC, like full uh, uh, automated digital engine control. You know, that's fine. 
Uh, but back in the day, you had none of that. So no, you, you had to have people constantly watching those engines because as soon as that oil starts to run dry or that engine starts to overheat, your airplane's going to start crashing. And before they had the science to be able to make an airplane that would always glide once their engines quit, well, when your engine quits, your airplane turns into a rock and everybody aboard perishes. So it was pretty important stuff back then. I can see this movie would be more interesting to a plane aficionado, too, because there is a lot of that in it. But I just don't time, have a fear yeah. of flying, so I couldn't really care about any of this. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. No, it really, uh, for me, it really captured, like, the spirit of someone who, who wants to fly, you know, who, who loves aviation. Um, Jiro really, really captures that for me. Uh, as someone who, you know, myself, I, I don't have the ability to fly. I couldn't join up and be a fighter pilot because my eyes suck too. I mean, in the modern world, you can have corrective lenses and you can still be an airliner pilot or, or a, a cargo pilot or whatever, but, uh, you know, no, just love aircraft. And, and this movie really captured that love of aircraft for me where you're watching them soar through the sky and you can tell that the director, you know, he also was, was this huge aviation fan. Well, is still, um, again, you know, his studio, Studio Ghibli, world-renowned anime studio, being named after Caproni's airplane there, the Ghibli. Um, Which was going to be one of my movie morsels. Um, so, yeah, speaking of uh, Caproni, Jiro's dreams of Caproni continue to guide him, emphasizing the beauty of planes despite their potential for misuse, which Jiro's having, you know, hesitations upon. Um, and... It's in 1932 where Jiro is promoted to chief designer and tasked with creating a fighter plane for the Imperial Navy. It's a design the Mitsubishi... An all-metal fighter plane. Yeah, an all-metal fighter plane. The Mitsubishi 1MF10 uh, fails in testing in 1933. Disappointed, he takes a break uh, at a summer resort in Kirazawa where... Uh, he oh yeah the this scene was cool too this was this was also going to be i was debating on this was going to be one of my favorite scenes just because of like one the animation the fact that like the engines were like exploding in their faces and like crashing around them i thought it was just like really well animated and done but um i don't think i went with that obviously uh well that's big time with those old engines too right they, they would just spit oil all over you you know the the image of an old world war one fighter pilot with the the leather helmet and the the goggles and the big white scarf that white scarf was to wipe the engine oil off of their goggles because it was oh it, it did not yeah yeah it did not have close tolerances that engine would just spit oil out like crazy it would get all over your face your face would be black by the time you come back down to the ground Sounds wow. pleasant. So yeah, uh, I tell you the one he, thing I want when the plane's falling out of the sky is a leather helmet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I want. I want to. I would want a parachute. Um, so yeah, I want to use what they use while playing rugby. That's what I want. <laughs> falling out of the sky. Oh, much less so, helmet. my friend. Much less so. <laughs> At least with rugby, it's a padded helmet. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah. Jiro's at a summer resort in Kurosawa where he's unexpectedly reunites with Nahoka um, and uh, a German visitor uh, named Hans Kastrop is played by Martin Short uh, or, <laughs> or Jun Kunimura. I, I couldn't, I didn't actually, I should have confirmed this. I couldn't tell because when I, when I found a scene earlier, 
I swear that like German guy with the like the gray eyes. I think they had um, uh, Werner Herzog play his voice. Werner um, Herzog. Yeah, I, I think I remember him being um, being mentioned. Anyway, um, uh, so yeah, Kastrup secretly a Soviet spy who fled uh, from Germany, and he missed a euro that he disapproves of the Nazis' regime, uh, regime's cruelty and carelessness, uh, the need to prevent another war. Uh, euro seeks Nahoka's father's blessing uh, to marry her, and they become engaged. They form a deeper connection, and uh, Nahoka reveals her feelings for Jiro. However, this, the specter of war looms, and Jiro's designs are tainted by their eventual use as a kamikaze planes. Returning to his career, Jiro is told by uh, Kurokawa that the Japanese Secret Service is seeking him out as an enemy of the German allies, and several of Kurokawa's friends have been arrested. Um, so Jiro goes to live at his boss's house until the suspicions dies down. Um, he writes to Nahoko, sorry, Nahoko, is it? Yeah. And discusses with her, um, how Mr. Kastroff was wanted for being a traitor to Germany. Um, He prays that their friend would escape the country and knowing what sort of fate would await him if he were caught, basically. Uh, sorry, I'm sort of like losing my track here. Uh, Nahoko comes to visit with Kir- uh, Kirikawa's household. Jiro marries Nahoko uh, with the help of Mr. Kirikawa. Jiro works on a new fighter aircraft project while hiding from the authorities at a superhero's home. And eventually Nahoko's uh, health deteriorates and she returns to the mountain sanatorium because she's got the TB, basically. she This woman's got tuberculosis and this dude is just like willingly making out with her all the time because he loves her you know um which is understandable um but yeah he spends all his time working and she comes back to sort of hang out with him for a little bit there she escapes the sanatorium they're doing well i'm just trying to get to mike's scene here um yeah, she's literally on a path to death. I mean, at the time, there still was no cure for tuberculosis. Yeah, uh, I was gonna say it's like this—they they didn't have a cure at that point, right? Like they have the you wedding know. and stuff, which is cute and all that. Course, they called but... it in those days consumption. Consumption. Yes. Yeah. That's what they called yeah, tuberculosis. Yeah, that was the name for yeah. TB. Yeah. Consumption. Yeah. Um. So yeah, uh, Nahoko basically at this point she's, you know, they've had a good time together. It was sweet and all that stuff. Um, oh, that's right. Yeah, this Mike scene. Okay, we're just to play Mike scene. His scene was before. Yeah. Um, yeah, once she's when she was still back up in the mountains and she has a lung hemorrhage and just coughs a, a horrendous amount of blood through her hands a terrifying amount of blood yeah um yeah i couldn't get that whole scene but yeah he's basically on the train there yeah this is the scene you're talking about specifically right exactly yeah he's going back to see her 
I mean, this is the love of his life. You know, he, he's marrying her despite the TB. Um, he finds out she's slide rule up there. crazy amounts of blood, and and he's going back to see her, crying his eyes out, but still so dedicated to to the beauty mm. of his craft that he is he's on that train doing all these calculations. He's still there putting every amount of every minuscule morsel of effort that he can into to building his dream even knowing that he's going back to visit his dying wife right mm. i thought that was pretty i would have liked this movie if it wasn't an anime because like Probably. all these themes are nice but the anime just kept taking me out of it. i th i think you just need and it was slow it, it was slow it was. Yeah, I yeah. think you probably should have taken a, a chance to rewatch it again. Honestly, you, you said you only really get to watch it late, and I don't know. I found it late, it in the middle but... of the day. It was a good watch. Um, so yeah, despite the prognosis, Nahoko and Jiro cherish their time together. Uh, Jiro leaves for a test flight of his new prototype, the Mitsubishi A5M, uh, while Nahoko writes letters for Jiro, her family, and friends. At the test site, uh, Jiro is overcome by a large gust of wind, um, symbolizing Nahoko's passing. Um, in the summer of 1945, after Japan's defeat in World War II, uh, Jiro dreams of Caproni once more, uh, regretting the use of his aircraft for war. Caproni consoles him, affirming that Jiro's dream of building beautiful flames was realized, and Nahoko appears in the dream uh, urging Jiro to live his life fully, seeking solace and guidance. The film ends with uh, Jiro reflecting on the beauty of aviation and the importance of living life to the fullest, inspired by the spirits of Caproni and Nahoko. Um, and yeah, this film was, you know, a dedication to Jiro Hirogi and uh, to Sumo... Horikoshi. Tatsuo Hori. Horikoshi and Tatsuo Horikoshi. Hori. And yeah, Studio Ghibli film. All right, well, that brings us to the plot and storytelling. Um, a bit slow, but I think that was probably the strongest part. Well, maybe the music was the strongest part, but, I mean, the plot and storytelling was fine, I guess, but I didn't like all this sliding into dream sequences um, that... I maybe would have changed. It's kind of like flashbacks to me. I don't like things to interrupt the narrative. Unless they really offer something very significant to the narrative. But I find they don't. Like, I find when things are led into a flashback or in a dream sequence like that, they've already led you up to knowing what that's going to be about anyway. So it's just a waste of time. Oh, you so, would just love Bo is Afraid, I'll tell you. Holy cow. <clears throat> Never heard. I have of yet it. to see that one. It's uh, that's the new Joaquin Phoenix. It's uh, it's a good one. I enjoyed it, but anyway, that's not what we're talking about here today. Um, I thought plot the plot, I thought the plot and storytelling was a beautiful tapestry of uh, of man ex of a particular person's existence. Um, I enjoyed the pacing of the film. Um, I found myself intrigued and sort of like, where are they going to go? Um, it was it was gentle, it was sweet, but it wasn't overbearing. I was expecting more, I think during the whole film... I it was just a little overbearing. Well, no, no. I, I, I felt it wasn't overbearing in the sense that I, I was expecting more like violence or something like crazy ha to happen. 
you know, something more traumatic. And it seems like all of the trauma for the most part was just like subtle and almost like ancillary, you know, like they, it was pretty gentle. Yeah. It was a gentle sort of like focus on, you know, living your dreams to your fullest style kind of life. So, yeah, I like that. Mike. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I think the plot and the storytelling both hold up. Um, I think, uh, again, it was like uh, it was like what Tom Cruise was trying to do when he did the new Top Gun Maverick. He, he said that it was a love letter to aviation. That's what I feel this film was. It was a love letter to aviation. It was, uh, it was well-crafted, and it was telling the partially true story of someone who loved building aircraft, who loved creating that magic of, of human flight, you know? Uh, right from the very first Top Gun days. is a love letter to the American Air Force. Oh, you <laughs> haven't even Top seen Gun Top Gun American. Maverick. You haven't even seen I've it. seen so Top Gun. Come on. Ah, oh, Top Gun. They don't I hear this one's even worse. US Navy. Uh, no. What? No, you know what? Maverick's it's, way it's, better. It is, it is not... No, but with its like propaganda, so it's as, worse. Well, no, it, it doesn't, it doesn't mm. glorify the states so much as it glorifies Man. just aviation, pilots, machines. You know, that's uh, what it's about. Air Force. I don't think it glorifies Air Forces. Uh, the, Air Forces. The US Navy Not planes. Planes that shoot than... and blow shit up. Well, yeah. And of blow certain people and certain things up. Yeah. Like, which, those are the things they, they're talking about. They specifically about. decide not to mention who it is in order to avoid any kind of calamity like that. They, they made a good choice like that. The it's story. literally, it's just, about, it's just about pilots who are in a war, you know, and war makes for a good movie. I don't think it glorifies the United States any more than this movie glorified imperialist Japan. You know, sure, it's a story oh, this movie about... definitely does that. That's what I meant. It was so buttery. This is like Jesus in Japan. This is like... <laughs> I think it, it's, it's glorifying the person, though, and his designs. Yeah. It's not glorifying the politics of the time. It's not glorifying uh, the emperor no, it just, or, it just or the, get, the imperial doesn't get into Japanese army. It just, you know? just, just doesn't yeah, get into the Because it doesn't need to. It's, that's that's yeah. not where it's trying to go. No, but you I know? find you these don't... types of movies, these biopics, are far more effective when they like give you the realism. Like, like a, the, a good biopic I saw recently was the one the on ultimate like... politics of everything that it's no, no, no. But it should put you in that world. This didn't. There was nothing realistic about this world. I mean, it's it's an anime dreamscape anyway. But I mean, there it, were the, plenty the world of this character existed. This. He speaks to Caproni. He goes over to to Germany when Germany was beginning to ally with Japan. He gets uh, ideas from from German technicians. Like this was all stuff that happened. This is all. I had very to keep reminding myself that this movie was taking place during a war. It was just before World War II. Technically, it was the yeah. interwar period. Yeah, it was. It was. It was. Yeah, it was, it was the pre-production of war. You know, pre-production. Yeah. Well, I mean, it wasn't even Japan wasn't wasn't trying to go to war either. Japan went to war because the United States cut off all of their oil and and forced them into either a invading another country to be able to continue building their society or b failing as an entire nation. I mean, they it was Air it Force was 1 needed war. all that oil, Mike. Air Force <laughs> 1 needed that oil. So <laughs> Remember, it's not bad when the American president does it. That was very right. clear in the last movie. You better believe it. 
<laughs> exactly. Um, all right, which performance would you hold up? I mean, I've watched it subtitled, so I don't really think I can even say. Yeah, it's hard. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of want to watch the dub version. Uh, I, I feel you like... Pick Martin Stanley... Short. Pick yeah, Martin let's... Short. Let, I, I'm, I'm going to say uh, Martin go Short or Stanley... Yeah, John Krasinski right. looks like his part was pretty good. Um, I'm going to go with Stanley Tucci. The Tucci. I haven't watched the, watched the dub version, but from that like one clip, his like Italian accent was too delicious not to enjoy. Um, uh, but as as for the actual like the 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 actual like Japanese versions, um, the character of Yuro Horikoshi, uh, that whole portrayal, um, I, I I enjoyed. I think it holds up. I think. I liked the I liked the the portrayal of the character and how he was just a nice guy just doing the thing. You know, he just wanted to focus on his work. He had no ulterior motives. He just wanted to focus on his work and he helped out people when they needed help. And I I, I gelled with that. He wanted mentality. to care about this character. I just I just found it kind of uh, it just didn't grab me. I just didn't I care about like I it was it was too good. It, it was just yeah. it was too much. It was too much. Yeah. I would have liked more Horjo. I could not stand him. I, I would have liked to seen more of like Horjo, his friend that he like was went to school with, but who ultimately the got smoker left smoker guy. He's just always like sitting there smoking. Not. No, that's yeah, a guy. yeah. No, 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 no. His friend was the, was always smoking. Yeah, but basically, it would have been John Krasinski's character. Um, I would have liked to seen more of that character potentially in the story. So yeah, who was Martin Short's character? Um, he was the German. Apparently, the German fella. I thought that was Werner yeah. Herzog. Uh, I was expecting the Martin Short's character to be like uh, the the little production manager there. Oh God, I hate that guy. He was pretty. <laughs> I hated a lot of the characters in this film. I'm not gonna lie. I really, I think, I just couldn't stand them. I liked the storyline. I did. I liked the uh, the love of aviation. I I just I hated the characters. Uh, just hated ninety like percent of the characters. Yeah, Kirikawa. Martin Short plays Kirikawa. He plays the short guy. Oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That we'll call him Martin Martin Herzog. Do they? Werner Herzog uh, plays Castro, the German guy with the eyes and the German actually, spokes okay. and stuff. Yeah. Which, like, also, I want to see that character. I want to. I want to see Herzog play that character. Setting aesthetic, um, it's quite nice. I mean, the anime, the, some of the scenery and the planes look really good. Um, like I say, I don't like faces in animation. In anime, they all all the people look awful. Um, it's yeah. like yeah. Frank quietly art in comic books. Like some people just can't draw humans, and yet somehow they get work. Um, sorry, quietly. Well, it's because they they model um. the character like. <laughs> like faces off of cats right because cats are considered cute so uh by and large yeah, see, a lot of it, anime characters yeah. the the nose comes yeah, out I don't like, like that, it. and then it oh i i hate it i can't i'm not i'm yeah. not saying this to defend it i'm just saying yeah. it to explain it i also yeah. can't stand it for me they just model everyone after children you know that's like i don't i like it. the setting aesthetic of this film uh, it's a miyazaki's you know beautiful paintings beautiful background paintings really well done paintings animation. i like um really 
wonderful setting, the beatboxing sound effects of explosions and nature and stuff like that was really interesting twist. He never diverted from that at any point. Um, I thought it would be like a once or twice sort of thing, but no, he kept it going throughout the entire film. Um, and the seamless cuts between like dreams, transitions, and just like, honestly, the segues of, of time. They weren't seamless, though. They were really. jarring. Jarring? It? No, like, no, I thought, like, they, like they someone were... be, would be like mid fall, fall, like, or jump out of something, which was like in the painting uh animation style and then like halfway through that fall it would be like hanna barbera cartoony and weird it was just like uh, it was weird took me out well they they okay this was too serious and like sweet and like kind of a story for for that it just didn't seem like that would work better for like maybe an action kind of thing or something with a bit more humor in it it just didn't it seemed out of sync with the tone of this film well, it was a combination of like art and cgi uh for a lot of the scenes but like yeah I, I don't know it was i thought it was fun i thought it was a great film i was i was it was poetic it was beautiful poetry in motion well get us a st- you gotta segue those better you just cut yourself off uh movie morsels for the wind rises 2013 uh- That'll come through better on the thing. That's got to be a like delay, internet delay issue because I definitely finished talking long before I pressed that button. So okay. hopefully on the uh, final cut, that's fine. <laughs> we shall see, said the blind man. Um, so yeah, The Wind Rises is a film directed by Hayao Miyazaki, which fictionalizes the life of Jiro Horikoshi, an engineer and designer fighter planes during World War II. While Jiro Horikoshi was a real historical figure, the film takes creative liberties in its portrayal of his life and events, incorporating both elements of his real-life experiences and fictionalized storytelling. It is not the first film by Miyazaki to be based on a real-life person, as his previous film, Princess Mononoke from 1997, also drew inspiration from historical figures and events, blending them with fantasy elements and Miyazaki's signature style. Uh, Miyazaki drew inspiration for the film from a manga of the same name that he created in the early 2000s, which itself loosely based on Tetsuya Hori's novel, The Wind Has Risen. the main character, Yuro Horikoshi, was voiced by the Japanese actor Hideaki Anno, who is best known as the creator of the acclaimed anime series Neon, Jealousy, Neon Genesis Evangelion. Um, Miyazaki conducted extensive research to accurately depict the historical events and aircraft designs in the film. He consulted with aviation experts and even visited airplane museums to ensure authenticity. Yeah. Um, the song sung by hey, bullshit. Euro... They left you out the credits there, bud. I know. <laughs> it's bullshit. all right. I'm in the credits for Family Guy. Watch <laughs> it. Uh, the song sung by Euro Castro and others at the dinner is "Das gibt's nun einmal, uh, einmal das kommt nicht wieder," which is "This happens only once. It das doesn't gut. come yeah. again." Uh, das gut. gut, yeah, sehr gut. Uh, from the German musical comedy. Uh, film der congress zant der congress zant zant wenn ist das nun stück geht und schlotter 
Der ja, Congress Dance. I see. Oh. Yeah, the film Der Congress Dance, the Congress's Dance from 1932. Okay. Uh, this That was German with Murphy. Uh, the film explores complex themes such as the relationship between art and war, the pursuit of dreams, and the ethical dilemmas faced by Jiro and his aircraft designer during a time of conflict. The protagonist, Jiro Horikoshi, uh, was made from a mix of actual lives of Horu, of Tetsu, Tetsu Hori, the author of the short story. Um, Desire and okay, this all just sorry. That was just like the same. Yeah, I've I've basically doubled up on uh, uh, movie morsels there without realizing it. Um, The English language version of The Wind Rises features a star set of voice casts, including Joseph Gordon Levitt, Emily Blunt, John Krasinski, and Stanley Tucci, among others. The earthquake and the fire was a result of the 1923 Great Kanto earthquake, and The Wind Rises marks the final feature film directed by Hayao Miyazaki before his announced retirement, making it a significant and poignant addition to his illustrious career. At the first screening of the film, director Hayao Miyazaki um, said it was the first time he he ever cried during the screening of his own movie. The cinematography by uh, Atoshi Okui, uh, edited by Takeshi Seiyami, Seiyama, uh, music by uh, Joe Hisasashi. Uh, It was a release date of uh, 20th of July 2013 with 126 minutes. It had a budget of $30 million and a box office of $136.5 million. And that's The Wind Rises. Rewatchability. I'm going to say yes just because I want to go hear Martin Short do this movie. <laughs> I'm going to yeah. go back and watch the dub version. Yeah, I want to watch the So dub maybe there's a bit too. of rewatchability there. And like I can see this movie appealing to certain people. It's just not for me. Martin Short, who has been included in the, uh, the title and others amongst the cast. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> Oof. John Krasinski. <laughs> And others. Like, damn. You're a very young man, Murphy. Murphy Martin Short should have led that list easily. You know what? Don't forget Jim from The Office. (laughs) Right. Forget the guy who pioneered Canadian comedy. Anyway, I digress. (laughs) And it's just delightfully funny to this day, Martin Short. Um, So definitely rewatchability in this film. And so some. To a degree. I mean, I would. But does I it hold up? Not for me. Watch half of this movie. I just doesn't, doesn't hold up for me. I feel like it could have been done better. I feel like this they could have the quickened the pace. Yeah, but it was so boring. I watched a lot of these movies a lot later than I watched this one, and the, the lateness of the evening didn't come into play. This was just <laughs> kind of boring. Like I say, the characters just didn't grab you. And they should have. Like, it had me at the beginning. Like, that opening scene I picked. I'm like, all right, this is probably going to be a sweet, hopeful movie. And it was, but it was just boring to get there. I feel like you stopped paying attention at one point in the film and lost track of the plot. And just kind of was like, ah, I just need to finish this because I got to finish this. I feel like that's what happened. Because this film is, if you, like... This film was beautifully done. I watched it. I watched it midday. I had a window open, so the wind was playing, and it was adding a nice sort of atmosphere to the like the good first half of this film because there's a lot of wind animation and stuff. Um, so it was making it a very like 
I was finding myself very enthralled, and and my immersion but those are was external never stimuli. I bet you I could have watched this in a friggin' in a hot tub at a Nordic spa, and I would have liked it a lot better. But like, mm. I didn't. I watched it in my basement after an X-rated the X-Men animated review show. <laughs> so, um, I yeah, I don't know. I think I feel like the dub is will have more weight and whatnot, and you'll probably likely consider. I probably should have uh, watched the dub version. Like yeah. I was, I like subtitles sometimes. Like I didn't mind it so much for Victoria, but in this one, it was just like I was sick of reading. This is what seemed like a boring book. I was just like, I'm I'm tired of reading this. Then then you should probably for next episode watch dubs watch the dubs of the animes we're probably gonna end up watching because oh yeah uh, maybe god i can't believe i have to watch three more animes i'm gonna be so cranky next episode you're gonna be so and aemon's gonna be our guest and it'll be fun yeah aemon's gonna be like cranky that i'm cranky it's gonna be a crank fest wait for it everybody <laughs> the opposite of like the last couple like i was it <laughs> We went for uh, four Mike, hours with Jamil. Does this like, film hold up on? for you? Like, what is your I mean, final I would verdict? Say it holds up. Yeah, uh, it is. It 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 does what it advertises. You know, um, so I I would say that it holds up because it it puts forth the energy that it says it's going to put forth. Um, it doesn't try to be anything that it's not. It is a gorgeously presented film with, uh, I mean, what is essentially a very basic storyline, but with some cool animation sequences. It, it it is what it tries to be, so I would say it holds up. Hmm. Well, that brings us to our airplanes movie rankings. Uh, for me, it's airplane is the best, um, followed by the wind rises and Air Force One. Air Force One is an irredeemable crap fest of nothingness i would second that yeah yeah uh, i'm i'm gonna third that as well Airplane was... seconded irredeemable crap fest of nothingness yeah. uh, <laughs> I, i'll be the third to that concisus uh airplane wind rises and uh air force one at the bottom of the ocean where it should be oh i think that's the first time our Entire panel has agreed on the uh, the movie <laughs> rankings, at least in a while. Yeah, like so airplane was just far more now. enjoyable than the wind rises, but I love the wind rises because the opposite, it's like the opposite. Like I didn't expect airplane to be good, but I was entertained the entire time, and I expected the wind rises to be good, and I was bored the entire time. So it's like expectations <laughs> do come into play sometimes. But, sure. Well, know. I mean, I you guys see this because I, I knew Miyazaki's work, so. Oh, there we go. Yeah. So there's where we're at now. We still got one more A movie than we do B movies. We've had one A movie here tonight and two Bs. I mean, Air Force One should have been a C movie, but, you know, I don't always get what I want. Or the world doesn't always get what's just, which both <laughs> uh, is the case here. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Any thoughts on this list now, fellas? Like how we are slightly eking out with A's, then we do have B's yep. and C's. The C movies, the C's are falling by the wayside. Like we were, oh, yeah. we were racking up some C's for a while. There's watching a C movie or two, though. You know, there's, there's, there's oh no, no what you're thinking of is B movies. 
<laughs> these sea movies you don't want to touch with a friggin' 40 foot pole. I mean, yeah. Well, you were there for Bridge Too Far. That movie was boring. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, that's our uh, our A's, B's, and C's. The Ebbies, as my baby would say, Ebbies. She loves doing the Ebbies. Uh, oh yeah. We're. Uh, did you know we were a member of the United Federation of Podcasts? Yeah. Let's land it's this craft. True. Let's land it. We are a member of the United Federation of Podcasts. In fact, look, we even have a logo. That's how you know it's true. Let me get this roller off the the bottom. Um, Uh, Citizens and also council members. So, you know. I would like to know more. Well, I'll tell you more. There's X-Rated, the X-Men animated review show. We just did an episode yesterday. Uh, that was good. That was on, uh, actually, well, the episode wasn't that great. It was on, uh, Have a Morlock Little Christmas, not the, Xmas, not the best episode, but it is, you know, listen to us talk about it. That's fun. And we have an interview coming up with the voice of Cable, Lawrence Bain. That's going to be fun. And our next episode here on Hold Up, as we've talked about, I have to watch three anime movies. Better you than me. <laughs> on the Graphic Histories <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Uh, Andre has an interview coming up with Adam Gorham, uh, great comic, comics artist. So check that out for sure. Especially if you're like a ninja, you did a lot of Ninja Turtles comics. If you're a Ninja Turtles comics fan, check that out for sure. Super Mater Brothers, I think they're over there right now talking about survival. Yeah, brothers. They are brothers. And one of those brothers had a kid one time, and that's Eamon. Eamon on track. You can, uh, Check that out as well. I've been on there. Murphy's been on there. I'm about to get Mike on there. I think I think Mike would be a great guest on Aiming on Track. He's got a good good taste in music. He could basically the if you don't know the you just bring yourself uh, you bring an album to discuss with Aiming. And and, yeah, well we can organize it. We'll talk in DMs. Trivial debates. Uh, What's coming up? Murphy's doing one on the Office. Is that what's happening? No, that so that's in the works. Uh, we were possibly going to have Jason R. Phillips host that one, but we did just have a Mother's Day episode one, which I did not upload the cover page for. But yeah, we had a yeah, Mother's Day episode good. one. Which, Check that uh, one out. I competed against Eamon and Dave Mater for the right to lead our house. It ended with possibly the funniest question that has ever been asked on Trivial Dates. Oh, I have never I was, laughed as hard as I laughed on that episode. I was dealt the dirtiest hand, uh, the dirtiest poker hand ever. I, I friggin' went in there with friggin' a two and a seven and a nine. It was a garbage hand. But whatever. You'll see what, how who comes out on top there. No spoilers. Also, the Hellbound podcast. Uh, and so much that we have in the Star Lots Trek. Lots of Star Trek. Realm. Lots of Star Trek. We have many divisions. We get the locutors of Trek. We got the science division. We get the ops division. We do radio theater and the command division where we review all the shows. Lots going on there in the Star Trek realm of things. All right, let's get out of here, fellas. We kept her under three hours. That's not bad for us. You know what that is? Surprise, motherfucker. That's what that is. That's what that is, and that is what it is. And we landed this plane with 
an excellent flight time. I, I want to thank you all for, you know, taking part in watching this podcast, listening to this podcast, wherever you get this podcast. Give us likes, comments, subscribe, share it if you will. And uh, as always, enjoy the movies. We'll leave you with these coming attractions for next week's episode. It's the good time fly-high fantasy you've been looking for. It's a journey that will take you to heights you've always dreamed about. Hang oh, on this isn't going to go well. They're furry. They're cuddly. They're huge. And they're loud. And most of all, they're Classic, lovable. And there was a little one. And one this big. And a great. But to grown-ups, you don't believe me. They're invisible. I might get the way with watching this one with the kiddo. New world of enchantment. <laughs> no, she's got better taste than this. Playground. I'd be surprised how many kids loved this movie. Is a magical yeah, well, I'll try. It's the fantasy that's bigger than your imagination. Never forget your ride on the 12 What's happening? Is this in Wonderland? It's the roller coaster thrill of a Not really. Does it Alice in Wonderland meets the magic school bus? You'll cry with Totoro. <laughs> Not really. Best of all, you'll fly with Totoro. Since the time you're small, you I'm telling you, Dev, when you watch this, this kid, you're going to be buying a Totoro toy for Christmas. I've heard that song before. To life on the screen. From world-renowned master animation director Hayao Miyazaki. An animated adventure for children of all ages. My I don't know about children Toro. of this age. I'm already sick of that song. Yeah, <laughs> God, that one's gonna be painful, I can tell. This next one is the one people keep telling me if I like any anime, it's gonna be this one. From master so, animator Miyazaki, we'll see. the visionary that crosses all cultures, I and think you one of like the most one. influential filmmakers of all time, comes a simply breathtaking motion picture event. Princess Mononoke, one of the year's best films, featuring the voices of Gillian Anderson, Billy Crudup, Claire Danes, Minnie Driver, Jada Pinkett Smith, and Billy Bob what? Thornton. Yep. In a time when gods walk the earth, an epic battle rages between man and the gods of the forest. Now, the fate of the world rests on the courage of one fearless princess. I'm not afraid like to die, and I would do anything to get the humans out of here. As one of the first anime warrior. films I've ever What watched. exactly are you here for? To see with eyes unclouded by hate. So I ever watched this Vampire Hunter D. And it was awful. Ah, the technical monsters in this movie are so wild. You cannot alter your fate, however. 
You can rise to meet it if you choose. Princess Mononoke. This isn't just like Japan's Pocahontas, is it? That, that had a lot of Pocahontas vibes. From the director, uh, a little bit. It's a little, little Pocahontas. Well, I've already seen Pocahontas. Comes one of the most exciting and visually inventive films in years. Redline. You're not making me watch anime Fast and the Furious, are you, Murphy? <laughs> it's anime Space Furious. Oh my god, Murphy, you're taking this the this podcast to a vengeful depths. <laughs> I will not allow the red line to enter our Robo World. Attention, all soldiers of Robo World! All units, scramble! looks so awful. <laughs> I hear it's like one of the wildest animes ever I've been meaning to watch for a long time. What do you see? Beyond the line. Wouldn't be anime if your nose didn't start to bleed for no reason. Red line. Can't believe that's a anyway. 